Listen to The Astonishing Junk Drawer exclusively at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends. I don't think people are taking time off work to hit these guys. <laughs> uh, you sent me some video of you dancing around the kitchen. It was amazing. <laughs> Using any white drunk college kid can dance to. I'll just stick with the AI stuff. That's yeah. Rowan said that, not me. My math teacher, like, she doesn't explain it that well. Well, that's the hallucination, right? That's like AI hallucination. We have lives, too. <laughs> Mother Shipton's cave. Rich Adam is coming. Jim Harold is coming. I'm doing a lot of laughing, is it? Mm-hmm. Astonishing Legends would like to thank Factor, Squarespace, our contributors at Patreon.com, and you, our listeners, for making tonight's show possible. Greetings, Astonishing Legends listeners. The spooky season is upon us, and tonight, we're opening the vault of our listeners' stories. Tales that will make your blood run cold and your heart pound with fear. We've all had nightmares, but what happens when those nightmares seep into the waking world? Our first story comes from a woman who lived that very horror. And then, imagine an innocent child's imaginary friend possibly protecting him from dark forces that may also inhabit his home. Or how about an eerie encounter with the Prince of Darkness and a chilling message from the other side of the veil? We'll also hear from a woman whose childhood was marked by bizarre events, including missing time and a haunting melody of disembodied voices singing a nursery rhyme as she struggled to run home from school. Are you ready to step into the world of the strange and unsettling? Because once we start, there's no turning back. So, lock your doors, dim your lights, and let's dive into the chilling depths of your own astonishing legends. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Persephone Holloway. It seemed more like it was coming from somewhere above me, or I like to say no place at all. Join us tonight for part one of two of your Halloween listener stories, the first of three shows in a row for October 2023. And we're back. <laughs> that we are. Wait, how come I'm still so thin voiced? I, I can't catch her. Hey, break. come on. Uh, Sarah's, uh, she's terrific, but not a miracle worker. Well, there's only so much she can do. Wait, hold on, hold on a second. Okay, give, a, give us your next line and we'll have Sarah do a little sweetening on it. Now cut that out. Cut that out. Now cut that out. All right, folks, some quick business before we get down to business. Firstly, we just did a crossover with the OTR Debate yeah. podcast that you have to hear. It'll be posted on October 18th, 2023. Oh, that's a great show hosted by three lawyers who debate the big issues in music, movies, pop culture, philosophy, and everything in between. And they had us on for a debate about what else? Aliens versus ghosts. Yes, that, that was a lot of fun. So look for OTR Debate. That's the letters OTR for On the Record. 
wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find us on their October 18th, 2023 episode. In other news, if you want some of our seasonal limited edition Halloween merch and haven't ordered it yet, you're about to run out of time. We've got glow-in-the-dark sweatpants, limited-run Halloween hoodies, and t-shirts, and now's the time to get them if you're going to, because we'll be printing them up until they can be shipped and get to you, hopefully, by Halloween. After that, Mm. they're not going to be available again for a while, so... Yes, and also, we've added new water bottles to the store, and they're pretty nifty. And, and get ready for this. I've been waiting this for a long time. Coffee. <laughs> and those items will be available year-round, thankfully. And thanks to a partnership with Polite Coffee in Texas. It's really good, folks. You can get ground or whole bean coffee in one of our two flavors, Dark Knight Brew. Or if you like decaf, Hatman's Decaffeinated Brew. You see what they did there? It's decaffeinated. Very clever. Yes, both are super tasty, so I highly recommend them. Uh, So just head over to astonishinglegends.com, and if you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, you'll see a button that says, go to store. Just hit that, and you're off to the races. Also, also, if you're trying to get in a spooky mood, we have not one, but two Halloween Spotify playlists you might enjoy. One is music, and then the other is a collection of the spookiest shows from our back catalog. Uh, Yeah, so the music one is Astonishing Al's Mixtape, if you want to search for it. As of now, it has 127 songs and over seven hours of music. It's being added to all the time, and a very special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for uh, co-curating that with us. Yes, thank you so much. And the spooky playlist is called Astonishing Legends Creep It. That, wait, wait, what? Right. Who came up with that? Creep it. It's like, I did. It's like, did. who's going to remember that? Creep it? Yeah. You did. Yeah, it's good. Okay. All right. Well, all right. This playlist, a collection of spooky episodes of the show is called Astonishing Legends Creep It. Like creep and I guess the word it combined, right? Creep it? Okay. Yeah, creep it. Uh, well, as of now, it has 83 episodes. So that's an easy way to find some of our more scary ones. And we'll have links to these Spotify playlists in the show notes for every episode this month. But if you just search for them on Spotify, they are public playlists. And don't forget, Tess is doing blog astonishing right now at our website with a cool new blog post every day of this month. And then there's also the spooky movie Watchathon happening with a new movie every day, too. Check our socials for that. Wow. Just so, so much stuff going on. Yeah. yeah. And oh, and Forrest, weren't you just on the uh, Southern Gothic podcast? I was with our good friend, Brandon Schexnader. And that show is terrific. His sister does a lot of the research. So it's very well researched. He's a terrific narrator, terrific storyteller. It's a lot of fun. But I especially had a ton of fun because he had me read some Edgar Allan Poe, specifically the poem Annabelle Lee. Oh, nice. And yes, the title of the episode, which came out on uh, December 8th, called The Forbidden Love of Annabelle Lee. And I don't know if you know that story, but it's very personal to him and very tragic and but you really get what that poem means and what was in his heart because, uh, not to spoil it, even though it's from the early 19th century, but it is tragic and uh, you can see how it really shaped how he felt about just his emotions and how he wrote. So it's terrific. Check it out anywhere you get your podcasts or you can go to southerngothicmedia.com to find it. And finally, we have a very special surprise coming out next week. It's the premiere of something new from the Astonishing Legends Network. And let me tell you, it's nothing like the main show. Oh, thank goodness. I think it's probably better mostly because it's hosted by someone that is not us. (laughs) I honestly love this show. We're so excited to share it with everyone. The premiere will be posted to our main feed on Thursday, October 19th. It's a whole new flavor of Astonishing Legends, so don't miss it. You'll get the first two episodes automatically if you're subscribed to us. And after that, it'll be on its very own new feed. And if you're not subscribed to us, what are you waiting for? Well, we've got a super fun listener story show for you tonight with lots of good tales for a spooky Halloween. So 
let's get into it. First things first, we had close to 100 stories to get through to put this together. And so many and of counting. them. Yeah. So, so <laughs> many of them are so yeah. amazing. If your story didn't make the cut, keep in mind, we were only looking for six to eight stories for these two episodes right, right now. <laughs> Don't fret because we have plans to make use of a ton more of them after Halloween. Yes, it was so hard to choose. And some of them were so great, we got to do something with them. And I personally believe that these stories need to be told in all seriousness. So folks, don't be discouraged. There were so many great ones, and we're still looking at other ways to get them recorded and out sometime in 2024, most likely. So thank you to everyone who sent something in. Really, our deep, sincere thanks for that, taking the time to do that. Yes. Very generous of you. And very brave of you to share that. We're actually still going through a lot of them, and some of them are more recent arrivals. It's not over just because your story isn't featured in this or next week's episodes. All right, here's the first note about this series. We did have some microphone issues with Forrest Mike, so mm. you might notice he mm. sounds a little bit different from time to time, yeah. both this weekend for next week's. But we've since gotten that sorted out. We just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Well, it wouldn't be Halloween without a ghost in the machine. Indeed. Well, our first guest tonight is Andy, and she just has some really cool stories to share. And we've had a lot of housekeeping and stuff to get us to this point. So we're just going to dive right in. Sarah, please roll the story we are calling She is Ours. All right, folks, we would like to welcome longtime listener Andy to the show. Andy is one of those folks who sent in a story that we thought was pretty compelling, and we really wanted to have her on to talk about it and share it with us. Andy, thank you for joining us. Yeah, excited to be here. So we were talking a little bit off the air before we started recording, and you said you've been listening to Astonishing Legends for a while now? Yeah, since 2017. Okay. That's a pretty long time. In fact, everything before that was so sloppy, I don't know how anyone listens to it. So, <laughs> 2017, that would have been around at the time of the Shadow uh, Person episode, like the first really kicked off the spooky vibe for Halloween, even though we've been going for three years uh, prior to that. So we'd always have something kind of scary for Halloween. But this is a little bit of a new tradition in that some of the scariest things we've ever heard are not things you find on the internet. They're stories that people tell you that you know, you've gotten to know yeah. well. That's why we wanted to feature some of these along with uh, little deep dives here and there, mini dives on the things that may, they may bring up in their stories. But we, first of all, wanted to thank you so much because one of the things that is part of the, the prelude or preamble to a lot of people's emails is that they finally decided they wanted to tell their story because it was so hard to tell strangers. As we've always talked about on the show, you don't know how that's going to be met, even by your closest friends and family. You get an eye roll or people just, you know, they're not so sure about you later <laughs> unless they've experienced something similar. And that's the defining line is that this may sound outrageous until it happens to you. And then you're looking for people to to share these stories with that will understand you and just kind of keep an open mind. So that's the attitude here. And we're very thankful that you've uh, decided to come on with us and, and share your story today. It's interesting. I have a number of, of people that I'm close with that are really into the woo. And so it's not <laughs> scary for me. It's not necessarily a story I haven't shared before, but it's not a story that I bring up like, oh, let me tell you this thing. Uh, right. it, it was a odd experience and at the time very scary for me. So I grew up in Northern California and our house, which I lived in from birth until I was seven, 
is located in a little pocket where it was all hippies at the time in the 80s <laughs> of Marin County, back when the houses did not cost millions of dollars. I think right. this house sold for like 1.7 the last time it sold or something stupid. Oh my back gosh. then, it was yeah. not like that. So we were about two or three houses down from the entrance to a large park with a lot of hiking trails and nature walks and different things. And the house itself was up against a hill. So it went up into the backyard, was like terraced all the way up to the the top of the ridge of the hill. And then I guess houses on the other side, probably because they packed them in like sardines back then. uh, And they were definitely not big. So the house itself was two bedroom very small house, no dining room, just a small kitchen living space and probably built in like the 30s or 40s, to be honest. And my bedroom was the one at the back of the house. And I slept in that room until I was seven and moved out of the house. And between the ages of five and six, I had a series of recurring dreams that left me really unsure what to think and and have left such an indelible mark that I still vividly remember them today. What was strangest, I think, about the dreams was that they built on each other. So the first dream was a small part and the second dream started at the same beginning, but then continued further and so on and so forth until about six months had passed. And that was when the dream finally hit the climax and its end. And I woke up from that dream. I remember waking up and then that was when the, the weirdest part happened. But what occurred was essentially a progression of in the dream, I was in a pine forest and I had my cat, the tabby that I had had. She showed up not long after I did, I think. <laughs> and I had her with me in this pine forest. This is Missy M. Yes, Miss Moppet, her better <laughs> nice. character, yes. So I had Missy M with me in, in the woods, and we were wandering around. I had the sense that I was lost. And it started to rain, and so I saw a cave in the side of a hill or mountain. So I picked her up and went inside. And that was about where the first dream ended. That was it. It wouldn't be anything that would maybe necessarily make you sit up and go, huh. But then the dream continued to build. So from there, carrying her and walking into the cave, I found that it was actually a tunnel. And so I proceeded down the tunnel. And I think I was trying to get home, maybe. I was definitely trying to get somewhere because I was not in a place that I should be as a five-year-old. Like, why am I in a pine forest at dusk? So as I proceed down the tunnel, I started to see an opening at the end of the tunnel and there was firelight, that sort of flickering dark light that you get with a really big fire. And as I came through to the opening of the tunnel, I found myself in this huge domed, sort of rough domed room. The floor ran around the entire circumference of it and then there was a really deep fire pit with this massive bonfire, something that probably was, I don't know, 12, 15 feet tall, just really insanely large. And I could see about a third of the way around the room, there was a hall or an open doorway. 
And I instinctively knew the way you do in dreams, that that was the way out, that that would get me home or safe or somewhere else that was better. And so in the room, kind of completing that triangle, if you will, so the door where I am, the exit that I need to get to, and then across, there was sort of a stone structure that looked tear or even throne-like, and there was something sitting in it. And I didn't exactly know what it was. I couldn't see what it was, but I definitely felt a very menacing presence from it. I was really scared. And I was very aware of the fact that I needed to get around the edge of the room and to the other side, to the tunnel, without it becoming aware of my presence. Now, wait a second. You were about five or six years old at this time? Correct. This is a pretty primal and sophisticated dream, I would say. For Well, I mean, you're getting it with the articulation of a 40-something-year-old. But... Sure, sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm just I'm just talking visually, yeah. the symbolism, which we'll maybe talk about in a bit yeah. here. But uh, I just wanted to comment that I certainly didn't have dreams like that. It's usually me getting lost at the grocery store. My parents can't find me. Yeah. You know? But most children dream of the world being scary, uh, being a scary place. But I would just say that this is, uh, yeah, I, this is cinematic in a way. It was. And I remember being vividly in it, too, which I think is one of the things that stuck with me for so long, because it I don't remember much, honestly, from being five or six. I have different memories or memories that are, you know, something someone tells you about enough times that you have this like vague recollection of it, but it's not really a memory. But this is cemented in my memory. So what happened in the dream is that as I'm almost to this doorway, I hear this tremendous roar and I take off running down that hallway. I just am dead speed, have to get away, know if this thing catches me undone. And I had the sensation of a very large creature, big horns, the closest I've ever come to anything that even looked somewhat similar was about four or five years later, I think, um, Legend, which had Tim Curry with the big <laughs> like, kind of horns. Oh, yeah. It's probably the most similar likeness that I've ever seen. It was very bull-like. And I had the sensation of this thing charging after me, like it was running almost with its head down and it was after me. And it was gaining and I was just about to be done. Like I had no more running in me. And then there was this bright flash of light and everything kind of froze. And I remember looking up and there was this being, it was a man, but not a man. Like it didn't necessarily have like a specific gender per se. And the lips didn't move, but this voice came out and it said, she is ours. And then there was another bright flash of light and I woke up and I sat up bolt straight in my bed. And this is when the weirdest part of this dream slash not dream happened. So my bed was in the corner of the room. The door was to my right and straight down the foot of the bed was the primary window, external light source for the room. And there was this big head with horns a la my dream in that window walking away. The part that really throws me though is those houses in that neighborhood were built in such a way so that the first floor the only floor was elevated to allow for a garage at street level and for the house to back up onto the hill 
So that window was at minimum 12 feet high. So I don't think it was a deer or, you know, one of the other wildlife type critters that were running around in the Northern California woods. And I, I to this day, I don't know what it was, but I didn't go back to sleep. So I know it wasn't one of those things where it's like you wake up in the dream and then you wake up, right? I stayed awake in my bed the rest of the night. My mom came in in the morning and she's like, oh, what's going on? And I was like, yeah, hi. No. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't tell her about it because I was just, I didn't know what to think. I love this story. It's very compelling because it crosses over to the waking moment that you had. Yeah. You're very rationally going through it can't have been a deer because this window was so high up, which reinforces the fact that you know that you saw something. You saw a physical object, a physical being. Yeah. And so that's really interesting as opposed to sometimes if somebody shares something like this and that part of it is still a little bit out in the ether. But you're like, no, there was a thing out there. I saw this thing. I don't think it could have been a deer, whatever it was. But by coincidence, it looked like the horrible demonic guy that I just saw in my dream. Yes. Well, Andy, you told us before we started recording here that you have an eidetic memory. And and I was mentioning how I first kind of looked that up when the Da Vinci Code came out because uh, the the Tom Hanks character claimed to have that, which is how he, it works in the story because he's able to memorize some very important things. How does an eidetic memory help you hear or affect the way that you recall this story? So I can still see in my head the environs of the dream, being in my room with the lights out, dark with the light from the window, backlighting, whatever it was that I saw, I can see it in my head still. How is your memory as it relates to dreams in general? Because most people have a hard time remembering dreams. They remember the occasional dream. Are you similar in that way or? So yes and no. I go through phases where I will absolutely remember all my dreams. And then I'll have a six, 12 month period where I don't remember a single one. It just depends. And I've, I've heard that they say that typically you remember your dreams when there's something that you were processing that you need to bring with you into your waking life. But I think sometimes mm-hmm. if you get startled out of the dream state, it's more mm-hmm. likely that you'll remember it as well, right? Right. That being that shows up, that's somewhat kind of human, half-human, bipedal, half-human shape, when it said, she is ours, was that some kind of protective message? Yes. You think? To back off, do not touch her. She is ours. It stopped whatever it was in its tracks, and then it left if it was really physically there after that point. Right. I never had the dream again. That was the last time. Oh, my gosh. You just completely redefined this for me because I was seeing it the other way around. This is what's great about Force and I both having an our perspectives on this specifically, this kind of stuff in a story is always opposite. I'm taking it one way and he's taking it the other way. And what you're saying is the way that he's taking is what it was. It was a protective message. Whereas I heard it as the dark, you know, I was more into the. No. Yeah. So that was a protective message that was happening. Correct. My impression of this was that something stepped in and your, I guess, visual impression in this dream was this being. I, what more can you describe about it? Is being a, a being of light and protective, uh, an angel of some kind? What was this thing that stepped in? It looked like a man, but not like a man. Hair, mm. facial mm-hmm. features, but they were almost 
too smooth, not as defined, no wrinkles, no right. expression lines or any of those types of things that I recall. Indistinct sort of natural colored clothing, very almost like meant to be forgotten looking, mm. if I can really put a pin in defining Like it. a good spy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in the years since then, I was not raised in a religious household or environment. I, I wasn't raised going to church or reading the Bible or doing any of those things, but I have somewhat associated it with like an Archangel Michael kind of archetype, but I don't know that it was necessarily actually a religious or Christian figure in the dream so much as something that interceded on my behalf and said, no, sorry. That is so fascinating. And I think the other thing is it sort of indicates that perhaps there's something about you that these forces or whatever they are have an eye on you from both sides of the fence. And on the plus side, the benevolent ones seem to be in charge of keeping you safe. Yeah, I'm grateful if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't be? Uh, it's much preferred to the other way around. <laughs> well, it was it was certainly more powerful than the evil beast that was there. But the evil beast also had the power to kind of poke through the veil and was there out the window. Well, the thing that I've wondered about in my adult years was, was this thing actually there? Was it visiting me? And was I having this dream each time that it came? It's just that that time I got woken out of it and then it left. Or right. was it just that one time? Like what what is that reality or like how does that interaction occur? So Andy, this is a very personal question. I actually even wanted to make sure it was okay to ask and you said it was, but what about folks who might listen to this and say, oh, well, this is all just a cover. Something was going on. You had some traumatic childhood events that were happening in your life. Do you have any kind of history with anything like that when you were younger? I mean, my parents divorced when I was like three and a half, but this was a couple years after that. Mm -hmm. And by, I mean, most standards, I had a pretty idyllic kidhood outside of the parental divorce, right? Like I, I was okay. pretty fortunate. I think that's important to think about. And you already answered my other question, which was about the source of the imagery for a five-year-old, which is something Forrest alluded to earlier too. It's, you said that you weren't brought up in a particularly religious household. So that thing that you saw, you know, later verified by Tim Curry and all his glory, but like when, <laughs> yeah. when you saw it, had you, did you have any external frame of reference for that creature, or was it invented by that dream for you, whether the dream was an invention or looking at something from another world, would that be the first time you'd be exposed to that kind of imagery? I think so. I can't... was in the dream itself. I can't frame or place anything prior to that that would have put that, but then the subconscious is an interesting thing that picks up tidbits and puts weird inferences and places them in strange things that, you know, you can't necessarily figure out what the association was later. So I can't rule it out, but I don't have any core memories of anything like that prior to this occurrence. This is Brock Randolph, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Now, back to the show. Well, before we move on to the next phase of your story, which is a, a, even even more gripping, what do you think the dream 
symbolized or what was the meaning or the intent? What was, was there a purpose to it or was it just an event as one may be mugged outside of uh, or on the street somewhere and it's a traumatic, violent event, but it just happened due to somebody else's will? It's a good question. I don't know if I know the answer. I can say that I've certainly experienced other woo things. I don't necessarily go searching for them, Mm -hmm. but they happen from time to time. And the dream, interestingly enough, actually paired against the story that I'm going to tell next, brings me to a point which is, do you go toward the woo or away from the woo and what's best for you? And for me, I'm curious about it, but I keep my own personal distance from it because, you know, there are some people that are more sensitive or susceptible or whatever the case may be. And as the next story I have to tell will show, I'm definitely in the category of more susceptible and don't mess with things you don't want to mess with you, right? Absolutely. That's what I always say. Well, let's hear the second part of your story. Okay. So years later, I was in college, also in Northern California, going to school at a college that was kind of known for being a little bit more hippie, I guess, at least in its origins. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Amazing psychology program, which is what I was there studying And there were a number of classes there, like the psychology of meditation and the psychology of yoga that definitely sat in that sort of hippie, hippie, trippy, sort of Northern California, old school vibe for sure. But I had the opportunity to take a class called Dream, Myth, and Symbol, which was really, really cool, other than the fact that it was at 8 o'clock in the morning, which is never good (laughs) in college. Well, you're still half dreaming, yes. Yes, yes. Although I kept a dream journal during that period of time, and some really interesting things came out of that, and I think I was focused on it, so I was also remembering dreams more. So that was, was useful. But they had given us a final project, which was interesting. We were supposed to bring a presentation to the class on something related to dream, myth, or symbol that tied into our family or genealogical history or past. And that was our final presentation for the class. It was our final. So I have uh, some very interesting, strong women in my family and in my past. In particular, my mom's mom had been a, she's a brilliant woman. She actually worked with Jonas Salk uh, back in the days of the lab of, you know, working on the polio vaccine. Uh, Absolutely fascinating human who could have easily gone on Jeopardy and won the whole show. But (laughs) she had varied interests and one of them had been tea leaf and palm reading. And there's a little bit of Something in the family where there's like joking around like, oh, we're Welsh wishes or something like that. I don't know. We're more Scottish than English, to be honest. But the W for the alliteration for witches is special. So I don't know. I think that's probably what came to the fore. But anyway, I decided to do my presentation on palm reading. So I was living on campus at the time in the more senior housing. So they were apartments that had a kitchen, a main living space, and then four bedrooms, four bathrooms, and six women lived per unit or or gentlemen, depending on the unit. But 
I was seated at my essentially kitchen table working on my final and a big poster and all these books. And I've I'd read all the books at that point and I was in the final stages of preparing for this presentation. And one of my roommates came in and she had a friend or maybe a boyfriend, I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you his name to be honest. I'd never seen him before. And I frankly, after this didn't see him again, I can't blame the guy, but they came in and she said, oh, what are you working on? So I was like, oh, this is the final and here's all this stuff and palm reading, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, oh, read mine, you know? And so she shoves her hand in my face. And so I go through, you know, this line means this and this line means that. And, you know, just the standard, like, these are all the lines and what they say or mean from the books that I had read and obviously learned identically at that point. And so then she was like, yay, you know, and she kind of ran off to her. She's a fun soul. Uh, so she ran off to her room and the guy sits down and he says, hey, will you read mine? I said, sure. So I took a hold of his hand and I looked down at his palm and I started the same, like this line means this thing. And then it, it, I, didn't, I don't even know what to call it. It was like a visceral trauma for lack of a better term, but it felt like being forcibly pulled underwater is the nearest that I can sort of liken it to. So I found myself physically in every way possible standing in a jungle. I remember feeling the sort of spongy, mossy floor underneath my feet. I could feel sort of the dense air. And there was this sensation that there was something chasing me. And I took off running and there was sort of this rough cut path. I was jumping over logs and wet leaves were slapping me in the face. And I had this sensation of just whatever it was, was about to catch me and I was done. And just as quickly, I was back at the table sitting there holding this guy's hand. You were pulled underwater or into this otherworldly state into a waking vision. Correct. So you, you didn't nod off, you didn't pass out. You were just metaphysically yanked into another world. We, we had another uh, recent email come in and they had described something of a similar thing, but was triggered by seeing a being where they described it as, I don't know if you've seen the movie Get Out, but when he falls into a hypnotic trance, into, you know, into the door, into infinite space, it's like that falling, being pulled into infinity. Yeah, that's the visual imagery, except this time you were just transported <laughs> or some aspect of your consciousness or soul was sucked into the jungle in an instant to experience this horrific beast chasing you whatever it was i don't know it was not there was no i never saw whatever was chasing me it was mm -hmm. just this intense sensation and terror of something that was pursuing me and would you know unalive me <laughs> basically <laughs> right. in the in the dream so as i flipped back into normal life real world he was sitting there and he was sort of staring at me, he looked confused because I'm sure I'd been talking and then suddenly just wasn't talking anymore. And I can only imagine because I'm one of those people where whatever's happening is happening all over my face all the time. There's no... No poker face. No, no, none, none whatsoever. <laughs> like it's just forget hard on sleeve. It's just hard all over <laughs> face. So I don't know if I 
blanched or had a weird look on my face or I, I clearly had you know, a very strong reaction to this experience because he stopped dead and he was just like, what was that? And I recall saying like, no, it's nothing. Anyway, lines on your hand, right? And he goes, no, 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 no. What was that? And I was like, okay, so you're going to think I'm weird or crazy or whatever, but this is what just happened. And I explained where I had been and what I had experienced. And I watched every last inch of color drain out of this guy's face. And he, you know, took a a couple minutes, well, a minute maybe, and then he came back and said, what you described is the reoccurring nightmare I have every single night. And it scared the crap out of me. (laughs) I mean, it, it truly scared me to my core. I didn't know what to do with that or how I knew that from him. And so I actually didn't read anyone's palm during the class. Like I just did a these are these lines, blah, 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 and had people do like a palm print and write their things and just was done with it. But after that, I I refused to read palms again. I I just wouldn't do it. Were you holding this guy's hand at the time? Yes. Do you think maybe there was a little bit of psychometry going on where people pick up psychic impressions by touch? Possibly, because that's happened to me before. Was this the first time in your life anything like this had happened to you? I had known things from touching things that I shouldn't know before, but I'd never experienced someone's dream. When you say things, touching things, uh, are they specifically other living things or are they also inanimate objects? It had always been inanimate objects prior to that. Okay. So this might be the first time that a living, breathing person or Miss M or whoever, you're, you, you got a message. Yes. After that, what was his exit like? He got out real fast. He just left. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He, I mean, she came in and he's like, cool, let's go. And I, I just saw him again. He never came back. Wow. There's okay. probably two different types of people and maybe some in the middle. Uh, I'm on the other end where it's, you're not going to stop hearing from me about how did that happen? What did you see? I would have a thousand questions Yeah. literally after that. And then some people are just like, ah, okay, that I don't know what happened, but that's too much. Yeah. Have you had any flashbacks when you watch movies or in TV shows or something that flash you back to that moment, what you experienced? Not uncontrolled, but I can literally still feel physically. That's the eidetic. You can just bring that right back anytime you want. I can feel like the spongy ground under my feet. I can feel even echoes of the terror that I felt in that that dream, the wet leaves, you know, slapping me in the face as I ran. And talking about your family, the very impressive family and the people that came before you, your elders and everything. Do other folks in your family seem to have some of these gifts? Yes. And is it always the women? As far as I know, yes. Do you have a sense that you're connected to the world in a different way from most people? I don't know. There's nothing to make me assume that most people aren't connected (laughs) in this way and either don't pay attention to the connection or I don't think I'm special if that's what you're asking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, we do know, uh, Scott and I do know a couple of people, at least one, that has something that is more more common, not as intense perhaps, sometimes it is, but a bit of psychometry ability where they touch things and get an impression of the, a lot of times the personality of a person, or sometimes it'll be a flash of an image, but nothing like where you're transported that intensely into someone else's recurring nightmare. and 
at the time, and again, you may, you know, if you don't know completely about what your recurring nightmare was, do you get any sense of what his was about? Because of course, I think a lot of dream interpretation, if you talk to a therapist, will say, well, there's obviously a fear that you're running away from. That's the most basic, obvious thing. And I think a lot of times that is the case. It's dream symbolism is, you know, standing in for something else. I've had dreams where I'm arguing with a police officer and I realize, well, it's not really a police officer. It's my dad. It's somebody in authority. They're standing in. They're placeholders in this dream world. But in this case, did you ever get any sense of what this guy's dream was about? No, it was just pure horror. There was no other visible character. It was almost as if the fear was what was pursuing and not a physical thing per se. So you you studied psychology. Correct. Like in having that degree in your back pocket now, you look back at this experience. And do you think that this vision, because it's a, it's different in a lot of ways, or maybe it isn't, but it's di- to me, it's different from your dream that you described, your childhood yeah. dream. Because it's like, are you looking at something that's happening on another plane, another plane of existence, interdimensional, blah, 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 throw around all the buzzwords, or are you actually looking into someone's psyche, like just looking nakedly at their anxiety or or something like that? And the, the imagery was created by this person in their own mind, but you're privy to it. I don't know. I think for me, I've always looked at it as someone or something was giving me sort of a window into that or letting me see it. And the next and last time that I read Palms, it was at that point that I decided that I didn't know whether if it was someone or something giving me that line of sight or knowledge, what the intention of that so-called gift was or where it was coming from or why it was happening. And I didn't want to mess with it because of that. Like that was the point at which I said, I don't think this is something that I understand enough to know if it means good harm or it's, you know, neither. And I don't want to potentially be doing harm by pursuing it. Well, then what was uh, the next and last time you read a palm? What happened then? I was true to my word. I did not read another palm for five years. Post-college, I moved down to Los Angeles and I had this really lovely roommate who, she was a school teacher, she's a really fun, very sweet human who I lived with for several years. And she had lived all over the world and experienced a lot of different things. And so she would have random people come through to visit or stay with us for a while from time to time as they were, you know, oh, I'm going to be in L.A. Like, oh, come, we have a sofa or whatever it was. So we were renting a house that had a small little patio area that we had put a small bonfire and some benches around And everyone was telling, like you do in your early 20s, like the spooky sort of weird stories and things that have happened to you. And so I told this story. And almost immediately, people were like, read my palm, read my palm. You know, they they, (laughs) they wanted the woo, right? Like they were hoping for something weird to happen, I think. Maybe, I don't don't know. So I went with my roommate. Again, it's always the roommate and the random friend of the roommate who I never had met before or met again. It just tells me strangers are the no, right? Yeah. 
but we went into the house and so I read my roommate's poem and again it was the same thing this line means this this line means that and I hadn't picked up a book in five years but I remembered all the lines because that's what my brain likes to do and then she went back to the bonfire and her beer and this friend of hers sat down across from me at this table and put her hand in my hand and I started my process and all of a sudden I had this deep just like someone had just plunked knowledge in my brain like this is true and so I said this is kind of weird but here's what I'm seeing because I don't know what else to call it palm reading and so what I had been given was the knowledge that there was a fairly severe medical diagnosis that she had just received and that it wasn't life-threatening or anything, but it was potentially going to be a big challenge for her in her life. And I didn't have any other insights on and making it better or anything to help. Just, I knew this thing. And again, the very severe reaction from her, you know, of course she's asking me, well, does it say anything else? Does it say what I can do or this or that? And I'm like, I don't, I don't have anything. I just know this truth that is somehow useless in and of itself as just this truth but she told me that her doctor knew and one other person in her life knew and that was it and she had found out a week prior and at that point I I was like I'm done no more for me if you're still in the Los Angeles area would you do one more specifically read my (laughs) oh no here comes Forrest I'm dying (laughs) to know I am, I am 2,000 miles away. And at this point, I think Dang. I've talked to you long enough that I wouldn't necessarily, you're not the random person just walking into a room that I've seen. Right. That's right. She's, She's saying it's working better with the people that are being brought. Then, of course, you have to wonder then, at, are those folks being brought to you? You know, is, are there forces at work? You know? I don't know. I never saw her again. I don't know if that conversation helped, harmed, or didn't, neither. Right. Wow. I mean, we see this a lot from psychic mediums who say a lot of times it's very random it's between two or three other people in a chain where a message comes to them via the psychic because there's something about the message and the messenger themselves which finds a person that can hear it that can relay it and I've heard this so many times. It's like, oh, you know, all these other people are kind of dull. That person there, they've got the shine. I'm going to send this message to them and they get it. And it's not even um, somebody that they know. Well, but what's interesting is with the two incidences that occurred with me, there was nothing negative or positive that came out of it, at least within the period of time that I was around those people. And so I don't know what the intent was. Was the intent to scare or harm emotionally Mm -hmm. challenge that person or was there an extended arm of here's someone that now knows about this bad thing and can talk to you about it I I don't I don't know what the intent was and that's what keeps me sort of you know at bay with going there you seem like a lovely person and (laughs) and within and a terrific listener and as you said earlier you don't think you're special but being special is just doing what you're doing you know, taking care of your family and your loved ones and whatever you're doing for your job. And that can be enough. And to me, the message was, you may have this extra little bit of skill that I believe we all do. Some some of us, it's more developed than others. 
and some of us ignore it and some of us uh, nurture it and uh, practice with it. It's always a practice. And some, it just, it's kind of neutral and it just happens. But something out there was knowing, something out there knew about your power, was maybe trying to tap into it, draw from it, drain it a little bit for their own uh, nefarious and selfish purposes. And something higher said, back off. She is ours. You do not mess with her because there's something extra about this person. And there you go. I don't know. That's my, <laughs> there's my wonky dream interpretation. But there is something uh, definitely I believe that it's possible because I've experienced it. I've seen it happen with others. It's hard to deny the results, which is your experience and what, and being so intense that you'll never forget it again. And that guy will never forget that again. Right. Yeah. Well, Andy, I, we want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story with our listeners. My pleasure. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I just loved talking to her. What a cool person. Every time that we get listener stories and we interview people, it's actually one of the things I enjoy most about doing this podcast. I mean, aside from hanging out with my, you know, with my best buds here oh, well, and talking about cool things yeah. and freaky things is really talking to and getting to know our listeners a little bit and their stories. And after you talk to them, because these are so intimate and intense, a lot of the times, you feel like you've really shared something. And most sincerely, that is just a terrific thing. And it's one of the things I cherish about doing this show, seriously. And uh, yeah, and getting to know some of our listeners, albeit in a weird, freaky way. Yeah. And my thing was too, was like in talking to Andy, I just felt, I felt like she had a, a very calming presence. She did. Yeah. I, yeah well, I, that's pretty common. I mean, you know, either you have a lot of fun with talking with somebody and we could just keep rolling for hours yeah. as we are prone to do. But like, if you were just sitting at a bar and or at a restaurant, coffee shop, and campfire. Next thing you know, five hours have gone by. Yeah. It feels like that with everyone we talk to because we just keep going on and, and wanting to hear more and know more about them. And they usually have, they, they, what they say often is like, oh, I got a hundred more things I could tell you. But these are the most prominent ones, yeah. Yeah, and I tell you, after after spending that time talking to her, I it's easy for me to believe that she is protected by something otherworldly. She, she just has that vibe of uh, she's got something looking out for her. Indeed. You know, that's what I was saying is that some folks you talk to, it's like, you just feel like you're instant friends. Others, you feel there is a presence to them that is metaphysically calming. Yeah. Say. yeah. You, 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 we get this a lot and it's just <laughs> like, yeah, you're in rapt attention and we hope the audience is too. Well, our next guest is Marianne and she's been with us for a very long time, active in the Facebook group. Long time ago, we exchanged a few DMs because she had some questions involving the story she's about to tell, but she's never told the story or submitted it. And I guess we haven't really, and until last year, haven't really had uh, too many uh, outlets for that, although people send us stories year-round, so we do collect those as well. But in this case, just this one line of what happened to her, I would guarantee if this happened to anybody in that context, I don't think you'd be as brave as her. I think you may have had an accident. And you could take accident in any <laughs> definition you'd like, if you know what I'm saying. All right, so her name is Marianne Delaraco, and we're calling her story Devil on the Radio. And when you hear it, you'll understand why. Well, we would like to welcome Marianne Delarocco to the show. She had sent in a story that caught our eye, and we thought that listeners would like to hear it. There were a lot of elements in it that uh, she knew that would appeal to us, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to catch your ear as yes. a listener. It certainly did ours. 
and just imagining just what that may have sounded like as, as she's going to talk about it here, but it will hopefully make as much an impact on you as it did for us. Yes, indeed. So uh, Marianne, welcome to Astonishing Legends. Thank you for agreeing to come on. Well, thank you guys for having me. This is really exciting. Well, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess when you start, how, how long have you been listening to the show? And it's okay if you just, it was like last week you started. But <laughs> So I actually think I started listening to you guys when you, like maybe the first six months you guys were on the air. Oh, wow. So I'm pretty um, old. Yeah. <laughs> listen to you guys. Yeah, I've been around for a while. I know I didn't catch you on your first episode, that's for sure. Yeah. But I um, I have listened to everything. Well, the first thing I want to say is thank you for sticking with us. Whenever somebody says they started early and then they've still listened, and even more importantly, have listened to everything, it it gives me uh, peace of mind for the emails we get. You guys have changed. I can't listen anymore, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, okay, well, some people are still riding it out. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, no, I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And what led you to finding us? How did did that happen? I imagine it's probably because I was searching up uh, horror stories or, you know, Um, spooky things. And I will tell you, probably I was looking for um, actually Oak Island, right? Uh, But I didn't know it was Oak Island. You guys are the ones who helped me figure that out Uh um, because I had seen it on, um, oh, what's the Leonard Nimoy show? In Search of. Yeah. 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 So I remember sitting, watching this in my cousin's house. We were over there one night and In Search of was on and that particular episode. And it stuck with me because of them talking about the tunnel that was dug out into the ocean. Yes. And I'm like, what is this thing? And it stuck with me so much. So I was probably searching up something for that. And then you guys are the ones who taught me what it was. In Search of is one of those shows. It's one of the things that got us started. You know, it, it was it's so long ago. You just sound sound like a thousand years old when you mention it because there's. So, I think a lot of younger folks just have no idea about it. I have the DVD box set of the whole thing. And it's funny. I got it out and we started watching it. My wife and I. We got like two episodes in. She was like, "You got to turn this off. It's creeping me out." <laughs> Is it Leonard Nimoy or just the story? No, just it's a scare. It's kind of funky because it's like not only are the stories really cool and freaky. But also when you look at something from that time period, you know, it was shot on film. It's got this vibe. The music has well, a vibe. You know, it's it's a little creepy just on its own, just the way it's produced, you know. Well, I think what struck with all of us is that there wasn't much of anything on like that at the time. So that was groundbreaking and just refreshing to see. It was quite uh, groundbreaking for uh, the topics it covered. But I think maybe part of, <laughs> I don't know if you could speak for your wife, Scott, on this, but when you're younger too, and you come across this, as certainly we all were when uh, Mr. Nimoy was on. But I think things that happen to when you're when you're younger in your teens, because you don't have the the definitions, the terminology, the life experience to be able to deal with this a little bit better, make much more of an impact and can be creepier. So speaking of that. Could you tell us the background that led up to your experiencing this when you were in high school? I am a cradle Catholic. So I went to, you know, Catholic grade school, Catholic middle school, and I went to this really awesome Catholic high school in Catonsville, Maryland. It's called Mount DeSales Academy for Girls. It's actually was built in 1852 by the Visitation Sisters. It is currently on the National Register of Historic Places. 
I fell in love with it because at the time, the Visitation Sisters had left and it was just being run by lay people. And it was what I considered very shabby chic. <laughs> it was kind of run down and really, but it was gorgeous. It was just a beautiful school. And so I think my sophomore year, the school was really, really close to being shut down. The lay people had not done a great job of keeping you know, the financials going. And so they prayed really hard. And finally, the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia in Tennessee did decide to take the school over. So they were the sisters that came in, I believe it was my sophomore year, and they wore the beautiful full white habits and they would wear these rosaries that they're massive. They would wear them on their belts and they would loop down to the ground uh, wooden rosaries. So, you know, we would take, of course, religion class and every, you know, every day, I think it was. And we were probably talking about something like Jesus and how, you know, if he says that, I mean, when you're talking about him, he's there listening. So, of course, somebody had to ask about Satan because, you know, we're 17, 16, 17 year old girls. <laughs> and <laughs> what else do you want to know about, right? So, I'm pretty sure there was a, a nun, I hope it's okay to say her name, Sister Philip Joseph, who um, she probably told us in her nice Southern accent not to ever speak about the devil. We weren't allowed to use Ouija boards and we were um, told to never speak about the devil in groups of two or more because it kind of reminds me of sort of that trickster element that you guys talk about a lot. He wants to figure out how to get in, what your weaknesses are. He wants to be able to tell you what your weaknesses are and how he can figure out where to sneak into your life. So, you know, being a 17 year old kid, <laughs> I was out with two of my girlfriends. We were going out in my mom's, I actually think it was a, a Dodge 400, a four door Dodge 400. I got to borrow my mom's, you know, baby blue <laughs> Dodge. And I was the only one who could drive. My other two friends were um, actually juniors. So they couldn't drive. And it was my job to take us to the movies. And um, there's a big strip in Baltimore County called um, Route 40. And there was all the hangout places. So we would go there and, you know, go to the movies and then go up the street and eat at like this place called Sorrento's. It was also a pizza place. And so, you know, we would do that. And then it was getting close to time to go home. And we hopped in my car and I'm gonna drop off my two friends, you know, and we had the radio on, of course. And I think it was, um, WHFS, it's a 991. It used to be really big here. It was out of Annapolis, a little private, like sort of independent radio station. And they did all the all the sort of alternative music. So, you know, we're listening to that. And I got it down low, but we're talking. And since we all had the same teachers, we were talking about that particular subject and how we weren't supposed to be talking about the devil. It's because there's more of you together and there's more opportunity to find the chinks in your armor, right? So if he doesn't find it in mine, he might find it in the next person's. So if there's a larger group of you, there's more chance of that, right? There's just this ability for him to find those things and then possibly get in and, and you know, oppress or anything else. <laughs> so of course, we're talking about the devil, right? <laughs> and 
you know, I'm a nice friend. I don't want to just kick her out and drive away. It's dark out. It's probably like 11 o'clock at night. So I let her out and I wait, you know, until she gets in the house. And as I'm waiting, there's this lull in between the two songs, right? So I don't know how many people out there are as old as we are, but um, that's dead air, right? And my understanding is like, it's really bad to have dead air on the radio. Like you can get in trouble. By this time, I dropped my first friend off and I was at the second friend's house. So she had gotten out of the car. It's just me in the car now. Radio's playing. I'm sitting there waiting for her to get to her door so I know she's safe in the house. That's when, you know, the first song ended. Okay, normal. Oddly though, there was this dead air. The second song didn't start. And yeah, I'm just watching her and saying, okay. So I start to turn, you know, to pull out and I hear this voice and it is the scariest voice I've ever heard in my life. It is very deep, guttural, and it sounds like it's coming through the longest tunnel I've ever seen or heard in my life. And it says, don't believe what the church tells you, only believe what I say. And right then I knew, I knew exactly what was happening. And I quickly turned off the radio and I was scared to death. Thank goodness the uh, nuns taught us well. (laughs) And um, the only prayer that came to my mind was uh, Hail Mary. And in the Catholic faith, The Hail Mary is an extremely powerful prayer. Pope John Paul II actually says that it is a prayer that the devil fears the most. And every time he hears it, it is a blow to his head. Um, It is believed that, you know, in the Catholic Church, God can see every time before, present, in the future, whatever. And so Mary has already crushed the serpent's head is what Pope John Paul II has said. And so thank God I picked that prayer because it sounds like it was the correct prayer to do. And so I literally just prayed Hail Mary over and over and over again until I got to my house. And I pull into my driveway and unfortunately, you know, this is back in 1986, 87, something like that we did not have an attached garage. You know, I'm parking out on the gravel driveway (laughs) and it's pitch black outside and my parents are asleep and, you know, just the one light bulb is on on the front porch and we've got these massive azaleas right next to the, you know, the stairs. And I was scared to death to get out of that car. So I got out, I ran as fast as I could. I'm unlocking the door as fast as I can. I run in, slam it, you know, and I'm, I'm blessing myself and everything. But I firmly believe that he saw his opening. And I don't know that it was so much to get in, you know, to come after me in that way. I actually think he was trying to torment me a little bit. Like he saw an opportunity to mess with this girl. And I think it was just kind of fun for him. You know, like, oh, don't don't believe what the church tells you, only believe what I say. And it was that creepy voice through this long tunnel. It was really the scariest, scariest thing. Was the voice, was it, what was creepy about, was it deep? Was it slow, fast? Did it sound, if you had to compare it to even a villain in a movie, like what would you compare it to? Or um, I haven't really thought about that. It was deep. So definitely 
a very masculine sound. Mm -hmm. And I think the part that was probably even scarier was it was very calm. I don't think it was trying to be overly dramatic and scary. No Bella Lugosi, no, you know, like (laughs) it was actually more terrifying because it was so matter of fact, Mm. but it just came, it really sounded, and I don't know how to describe it other than that. It really sounded like it came through a long tunnel and it was deep and it was calm and it was just so matter of fact, just don't believe what the church tells you only believe what I say. It was simple and terrifying at the same time. And of course, as you said in your email, there's really no chance of your friends pranking you or somebody else or somebody breaking through because back in the day, you'll remember around this time, you'd have something called Mr. Microphone, which could tap into a radio frequency and use the speakers essentially in your car. It's essentially like a radio that's a very short distance that you could use as an amplifier, but it's very specific, the context. I mean, who would know other than your two friends? Now, did you mention this to anybody after this happened to your other two friends or anybody else? I definitely did not tell my friends. I didn't say anything. And I do want to just make sure that everyone knows we're not talking a little town. I didn't, you know, I'm right outside of Baltimore. I mean, you know, we are in the suburbs of Baltimore. Because I went to a private school, it's not like going to a public school around here where all your neighbors go to the same school. Because it was a private school, I mean, my school was in the next town over. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even live in the town that the school was in. And, you know, my girlfriends were several miles apart from each other. Right. Right. So even if the first girl said, oh, I'm going to prank them, she wouldn't know where I was you know, she would have been too far away because we're talking at least two or three miles between each home. It could have been even longer than that, maybe five. So this isn't something that I think anybody could have orchestrated. Right. Hello, I'm Ezra October. And while I create bespoke clothing tailored to my magical clients, I'm always listening to Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. I have a, another technical question. We're going back and forth between philosophy, technical, and we'll, we'll get into religious sure. questions as well. Roughly what year was this? So I'm thinking it was either 1986 or 1987. Okay. It was fairly warm out. I know we were in like shorts and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think it was a Friday because I believe we had literally just talked about this in class that day. Okay. And that's why we were discussing it. All right. So at that time, WHFS looks like it was on 99.1. It moved around over the years. Initially, it was at 102.3, but in 83, it moved to 99.1, it sounds like. I just want to, for the record and for the listeners, uh, let Forrest know that Mr. Microphone broadcasts around 88. It has to be down near the bottom of the dial where there's available bandwidth so that you don't interfere with an actual station. Your dial would have to be in your uh, Dodge 400 and or K-Car. You would (laughs) have to turn the dial or press the button. It takes it all the way to the left or dial it all the way to the left to Mm -hmm. allow something like a Mr. Microphone to come through. Just again, which by the way, I don't even remotely think for a second this Mm -hmm. was a Mr. Microphone. I just wanted to point out Mr. Microphone will not work at 99.1. So there you go. And speaking of 
DJs and broadcast professionalism. It's not something that you would do as a prank without announcing it. I mean, so you're thinking this is probably not around Halloween. So this wouldn't be a DJ trying no. to prank people. And also a very weird thing. And also a, a very unprofessional thing. You would get in trouble, at least with your station manager for, it's just a weird thing to say uh, <laughs> after dead air. And that would be frowned upon. So that doesn't seem very likely. And, you know, people do wonder, is that something you're actually hearing over the air or in your head or what's going on? What are the mechanics of it? But certainly even Jim Harold has, that's one of my more favorite stories is not so much a strange message coming over, but a very odd song to be playing. And so we talked about that a long time ago about uh, near-death experiences, that uh, something he's mentioned in that this song that his uh, his autistic brother loved comes on the radio right after their service as they're driving away. It's like, that's such a weird, he loved this Lawrence Welk song. It's such a weird song for a regular DJ to be playing out of top 40. Right. That he lo loved to watch every, you know, I think it came out on Sundays and it was, uh, I remember that time and, and you can look at it as, or as Rich Haddam said, like, well, I, I'd want to talk to the DJ. I want to see the playlist. I want to know who was broadcasting, what was going on, and try and suss that out. And I would, too. On the other hand, you could just take it as a nice message. Well, I wanted to tell you my understanding for WHFS, if this was true, it was rumors around town, is that one of the DJs, and interestingly, I think his name was Damien, so that's actually kind of interesting. <laughs> but, <laughs> All right, that's it. For folks that don't um, follow that one, uh, please see the omen. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I think his parents owned the radio station, and the rumor was was that they actually created the radio station for their son to have a job. He had um, a bit of a speech impediment. Oh, okay. That was the rumor. I don't know if that's true mm -hmm. or not, but I could not believe that for a company like that, right. that it would be a prank, right? Because this was very serious for sure. them. This was a place for their son to have his career because they didn't think, you know, because of his speech issues right. that he would be able to do it on another station. So I don't, I wouldn't think that they would ever do something like that. Right. And, and of course, as we said, there's FCC rules about broadcasting, especially at different power. And the walkie talkies we had as kids back then, the publicly available ones, you know, they only go a quarter mile in range. So it's not like it's, it's probably interference or what are the uh, family radio frequency walkie talkies that are more powerful today, which didn't have those. So just a very odd incident for that moment that to me again i always look for context is it if it came on it was just an odd creepy voice that said uh you know memorial day tire sale <laughs> you know like that's all right that's different it's weird that it was delivered that way but this is very specific in context and apropos to what you're talking about did anything else happen you said there was other possibly spiritually related demonic things that happened to you later but nothing is this direct what else happened to you after this? And what was the immediate aftermath of hearing this? Um, I think immediately I just, you know, I was actually scared, um, but it was pretty late for me. And I uh, I probably headed to bed and went to sleep, <laughs> um, just like we always talk about, yep, right? That's right. Or you always talk about. Yep. So I think that's probably exactly what I did. Uh, it did stick in my head, obviously. Yeah. I don't think I ever spoke to anybody after that, you know, right away. I probably waited years when we started talking about creepy stories and 
um, you know, family reunions. And it's like, oh, did this ever happen to you? And oh, I got a story for you. But I didn't really tell anybody before that. I certainly didn't talk to my friends about it. And I actually didn't go in. I probably should have, but I didn't go in and talk to the sisters at the school. That might have been, I don't know, that might have been good or it might have been really bad. I don't know. We told you not to do this. <laughs> they they might not have liked that. Yeah. <laughs> they probably would have used me as an example, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Said, See, we told you not to do this and look what happened to her. Oh. Speaking of which, were you having any crisis, uh, faith crises at the time? Or like, was there, when in terms of the chink in the armor you mentioned, was there any reason that you would have been a target that you can think of other than just you being maybe a little incredulous about it or or something else? Um, Actually, no. And it's actually kind of funny because I guess I didn't really know this about the sisters, but they were always trying to recruit. So one of the sisters had told me she thought I would make a perfect nun. She was like, oh, you need to join the the convent. And so, no, I was doing, everything was fine. Um, You know, I was a senior in high school. I was happy with the way everything was going. I was preparing to go away to college and I don't think there was any problems. That was not a difficult time for me at all. Okay. Was there a follow-up incident, something else that happened to you or not? Well, I've definitely had some strange ones. Um, and my, my son has given me the permission to say this. So um, my oldest son has autism. And we had some very bizarre things with him. Um, so when I was pregnant with him, women are very tired when they're pregnant. And I was... Uh, my husband, I think, was laying a floor for us <laughs> on the first floor, and I went upstairs and I was sleeping through that. He was sawing and hammering and everything, and I'm sound asleep in it. But I had this nightmare, and it's one that really stuck with me. So I've had a lot of nightmares, and that's another thing that has happened to me. But this one was very specific. I was pregnant, it was our first child, and in the dream, there was a little boy, a very young boy, who was laying next to me on the pillow. And he's facing me. And he was telling me without speaking it, but he was telling me, I'm your child, right? And I was like, no, I know you're not my child. He's like, I'm your child, I'm your child. And he had a very flat shaped head. It was very strange. And he got up out of the bed, and when he got out out of the bed, I knew immediately this was Satan. This was the devil. And I was so petrified in the dream. And you know how in dreams you want to do something and you're moving like through mud, right? (laughs) You can't move. And so I'm trying very hard to get to the lights, and I'm turning them on, but they wouldn't actually illuminate anything they were very dim and he's coming closer and closer to me and i'm trying to run down the hall and turn on more of the lights in the house Um, and eventually i guess i get enough of them on that he is banished but that one i've had other nightmares we all do that one stuck with me very very much so then we had our son and uh he had autism or has autism because of it, he has, he didn't, this is probably around age four. He has no ability to, to have imaginative play. And when I, I really want to emphasize that there is no ability for imaginative play. We had a group come out called infants and toddlers. They're the groups in Maryland that would come out and help your child 
teach them, you know, language and play skills and occupational therapy, things like that. So when I say he had no play, they used to bring one of those garage, the cars with the garage, oh, the yeah. play, what, play school, right? Yeah, yeah right. They got the elevator, and it takes a car up the to the top and it comes down the little ramp. And then, yeah, okay. Right. So boys often love this, right? He couldn't even look at, like, he just wouldn't look at it. And my job was I had to put my hand over top of his hand and grab the car and vroom, vroom, vroom. You know, we put it on the elevator, we crank it up and I'm doing all of these things. So I want to emphasize this child did not have imaginative play. We would get toys and you know how little kids, like they get a teddy bear and they're going to name it, you know, Mr. Snuggle Bunny or something, something creative. That wasn't very creative, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) You get the idea. He couldn't. It would be like bear. If it was a bear, his name was bear. If it was a horse, his name was horse. That was it. He wasn't getting any further with that. So in the same house that the first nightmare happened. I never liked that house. My mother never liked that house. It was my husband's house before I married him. And uh, I hated it. Very dark. um, Just, I don't know. It was oppressive. It felt oppressive. I didn't like being there alone, that kind of thing. But anyway, one day he says to me, mommy, I was upstairs playing with Evan. And I'm like, who's Evan? (laughs) We don't have any Evans. He's my oldest. I don't have any other children. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, my sister, Evan from heaven, was playing with me in my room. It was, that, it creeped me out. I know that probably doesn't sound super creepy, no. but um, he didn't play. Well, did he say what kind of stuff they were doing together? Or? He didn't have anything specific. He said she would come to his room at night and play with him. And she was his sister, Evan from heaven. Huh. A lot of people believe children on the spectrum can see ghosts, have a different ability, I guess, in that sense. He has had a lot of things. I actually might have spoken to Forrest about this years ago. I think I did ask you this. He used to see orange dots, orbs Mm -hmm. in his room. I remember Forrest talking to me about this. Yeah, yeah. Yes. He used to see orange dots in his room. And we live currently, our new house we live on what used to be a farm. Our next door neighbor was the farmer. And my son said that pigs would come into his room and try to eat him. Mm -hmm. This is the same kid who's autistic, does not have, this is not an imaginative person, right? And she told me that, yes, we had lived, our house is where the animal barn was. Mm -hmm. So he used to see pigs in his room that he said would come in and try to eat him. And he had orange orbs that would come into his room scare him it would be very scary for him but then for me and this continues to this day I have recurrent dreams I don't know if it's sleep paralysis because I don't feel paralyzed Mm -hmm. I can move but I do see entities that are hovering over me they tend to come down on me with their arms outstretched they're very human. I, I, I don't think they look like shadow men because I feel like they look like people, right? Mm-hmm. They look like right. not good people, but they look like people. I see faces, there's eyes, but it's the only dream I actually scream out loud in. And I mean, blood curdling, 
scream. The first time I did it, my husband, I think I scared him to death. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sadly, it's now become kind of a, a thing. And so if I scream like that, you know, somebody will come check on me. I'm like, I'm fine. Right. It was the dream. Right. Um, but it happens very regularly. I'm talking probably eight, 10 times a oh year. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. Yeah. What What do you think's going on? I mean, clearly you've got a little bit of a window into something here. What do you think it is? And do you think that these things you're interacting with are what they say they are? Or do you think they're just playing on your fears? Or do you, you know, like the trickster element? Or what do you think this is? What do, what do you think this stuff is? Or is it just bad dreams? And I mean, I don't know how you explain the radio thing, no matter what. I mean, when you have a dream, right. people can say, oh, well, it's just a really, it's a dream, you know, whatever. But the radio thing, that's a, you know, you're wide awake in that moment. And it's technologically virtually impossible for that to have been something else. So what is your assessment of everything that you have to interact with? I do think that whatever I interacted with in the car, whether that was truly the devil or Satan, I do believe it was along that lines, right? Some sort of entity that wanted to scare me. And I do actually think it was to tease me in a way, right? Mm -hmm. To say... Oh, here's this girl. I can mess with her. Maybe I'll find, like, maybe I could find a way in, but that's not really my goal. It didn't feel like necessarily that was the goal. I think the goal was scare the hell out of this girl. And it did. The trickster, the prankster, it derives, well, people do it, you know, and they're not necessarily bad people. I mean, I, I've played a, a few pranks in my day, but if that were a human, the kind thing to do is like, nah, we, we got you. That's us. You let yourself know right away. You don't leave that on someone's doorstep and walk away. But yeah, it doesn't have to be a way in. It sounds like your faith was pretty strong then, as it is now, perhaps. And it was not to, it was just to say, I'm here. And yeah, I'm listening. So I do think that that's true. I question some of the other mm-hmm. things. My son with the evident yeah. from heaven, that freaked me out. Like that one absolutely freaked me out. I immediately got the sense this was not good. Immediately. I did not feel this was a benevolent entity. I really thought this was bad. Um, I had never had another pregnancy before him. I never had a daughter. How did he feel about it? Did he like playing with Evan? Uh, did he express, you know, he looked forward to the play dates? What, how did he feel about it? I don't think it scared him at all. I mean, he came to me and it is interesting because he didn't really have a lot of novel sentences. He had words, but he didn't really speak in novel sentences. So this was a novel sentence for him to tell me this person, you know, was there playing with him. So for him to articulate it, to talk about someone that we do not have, there is no one in our family, in our neighborhood. In he was in a different kind of school, uh, preschool for children with special needs. There was no Evan there. Uh, none of the teachers were named Evan. This was a unique mm-hmm. name for us. So for him to then speak about this person, to speak about heaven. So interestingly, I actually had a a long break from the church. I was not um, religious for many years. A lot of it stemming from my son's mm-hmm. autism. And so it wasn't like I told him stories about heaven or stories about Jesus or anything like that. We didn't do that. And so for him to come up with 
a novel sentence about someone we didn't know about heaven. It was really a unique incident, but he didn't perseverate on it. He didn't sit there and just talk about it over and over. It was just like, mommy, my sister Evan from heaven comes and plays with me at night. And off he goes. Right. How long did Evan stick around? What was the uh, end story with Evan? I think the best thing that happened was we moved and um, because uh, I was actually pregnant with our second child and we felt the neighborhood wasn't great. So we moved to the house we're in now and Evan stopped. But then that was when he started seeing the orbs Mm -hmm. in the house and he started seeing the pigs in the house. This is the house I started having the uh, nightmares that I scream in. Um, I do have a cute story about him. He's 18 now. And I was sleeping. He works later at night. And so I was in bed and I guess I was having one of those. And he happened to be coming up the steps when it happened. And I screamed. And I mean, like, it is blood curdling (laughs) scream. And he was halfway up the steps. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. He goes back downstairs. <laughs> he goes to my husband and he's like, I think something's happened to mom. <laughs> he wasn't about to check on me. No, no, that's, like, no. that's Dan's job. Yeah, yeah. well, he uh, doesn't want to walk in on whatever's might be floating around uh, in midair. And I certainly remember you you asking about that and, and what it might be. And People see all kinds of things. I mean, we've had several stories about orbs now. The colors, some people describe different colors, blues, oranges, whites, greens, just, I think, I mean, who knows? I think in some sense, they could be representations of spirit that or spirits that are in that form. And depending on who's looking, might take other forms. It's just, you know, I think I also mentioned this uh, before is like, well, the the orb, the circle, it's the most prevalent or basic natural shape, perhaps in the universe. So it's it just takes the forms of many things. But I to say where they come from and what they are a representation of or if that is their natural state. But I do believe that they it's not that they turn into other things, but that is a form of perhaps several forms that those things can take. So, I mean, who knows, but uh, how is he these days? Does he still see anything like that? Anything paranormal? Now he's 18. Mm -hmm. And I think, I do think he's kind of grown out of it. Um, He doesn't really see anything. I will say, I do find it really funny. My father lived with us um, until he passed away. He was in our home, uh, went into hospice in our home. And um, we have heard things in the house, whispers, Mm -hmm. Typically, usually sounds like someone's talking um, in the hallway. And, you know, we keep our bedroom doors closed, but you can hear something and it sounds like someone's talking. You open the door and it it goes away. And I always thought it was just me. My uh, father lived downstairs on our first floor. And uh, I said something to him. He's like, oh, no, you people have something here. <laughs> He's like, there's definitely something <laughs> And he would um, sometimes before he got really sick, you know, we would go on vacation. He couldn't go with us because he needed oxygen and things like that. But he could take care mm-hmm. of himself enough at home. So he would be here by himself. And he's like, oh, Marianne, the things I hear, wow. you know, mm-hmm. I hear stuff all the time. But um, he did pass away in our home. And so I actually believe that you know, the kids would say stuff. And I'm like, the scariest thing in this house right now is your grandfather. (laughs) And he's not scary. He's not scary, right? right? Your grandfather was excellent. 
he's not scary. And I, I tell them that I'm like, he passed away in the house. You're safe. This, yeah. He's, you know, he is the best thing that could be in this house. Sure. Right. And so, yeah, I feel like um, whatever we had before, right. if it's still here, uh, my dad is here too. <laughs> so I'm actually in his room right now. This is my, I'm an artist. And so it's my art oh, nice. studio. I turned it into that after he passed away so I could be in the same room with him. But he used to joke because my artwork would be on the wall and he's like, I sleep in the gallery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's in the studio. So uh, forgive me if you covered this already, but did you ever, regarding the story with the car stereo, did you ever talk to your friends that were with you that night or anyone at the school about that? I didn't. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I kept it to myself. Um, I thought it was just so scary and so bizarre and... I didn't want to tell other people at the time. Well, for what it's worth, Sister Philip Joseph is still with us. I'm looking at a picture of her from two weeks ago on Instagram right now with some others. Are yeah, you? some students. Uh, she looks like she might be in a wheelchair, so but uh, she looks pretty oh, yeah. healthy, okay. all things considered. Yeah. Everyone, all the comments are like, she was my favorite, one of my favorites. She is a delight. So uh, she's tough. Yeah, she's tough. I, I wonder like, if you went and saw her and, and told her this story now, what she would sometimes it's like if they might she might be like, oh, yeah, that's we got 20 of those, you know. <laughs> well, I have a, I have a friend who, like I said, the nuns were trying to recruit very much. Yeah. So um, she did get recruited. So uh, she went to the mother house in Tennessee. Um, she ended up not becoming a nun, but she is my friend still, and she's pretty religious. And I told her this story, and she is like, "You totally had an experience with probably the devil. You- <laughs> At least that's her take on it. She does believe that it was that, and um, I kind of trust her because she's was almost a nun. She did go that far. She was pretty close, and uh, she's like, "Oh, Marion, you you really had it." It's a really cool story. Really appreciate you sending it in. And I guess we just, we want to thank you for doing that and for taking the time to come on and talk to our listeners and share that story with us. And uh, sorry about the nightmares. Wish we could help with that. Eight to 10 times a year is a lot uh, to be having something like that going on. That's, that's stressful. I mean, I can laugh about it, but like we were on a trip on um, a river cruise on the Danube and um it happened there and the the figure came through the wall at me. Thank God I didn't wake anybody else oh up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, no, the people yeah. next to us or something. But I mean, like, I'm talking like this is blood curdling screams. And that that's the thing that surprises me because I know with um, sleep paralysis, you struggle. I don't struggle. I mean, I scream, I lash out, you know, I usually try to hit it and um, I scream and I don't do that with any other nightmares I have. There's nothing else that. Well, one of our uh, good friends who was involved with the, uh, the sludge entity episode, she was not, I don't know if right. we mentioned her directly, but she does as a psychic medium does dream interpretation analysis and how to work with them and has a little bit of, uh, let's say special insight into that. So that's Lori West at LoneStarMedium.com. Okay. If you're curious about that, or if others are, she deals with dreams and nightmares. So not saying that uh, you take this pill and you're all cured. I think it's a working process of whatever's going on with you and your subconscious and maybe something else, but it takes practice and, and it takes work like everything else. So, But if you care to, uh, check that out. And thank you so much for joining us and sharing this story. We're glad to have you. And, and it, it was good to see you face to face. Your name is actually very familiar to both of us from over the years. So it's always nice to have somebody on that, that we recognize 
has been with us a while. So thank you. Thank you. Wow, there is something about the devil coming across your car stereo. Yeah. And I will say it reminded me a little of the show Millennium. You remember that with Lance Henriksen? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I used to see is, him at my grocery store in LA. Yeah, I saw. I think I saw him too. When I was <laughs> I was visiting with you, we were recording, and we went to. Are right, we, went were we to together? The store. At since that time, and one time, yeah. one time, because yeah. you're like, there he is. Because yeah. you were promising, and it's like I gotta see Lance. Yeah. And there he was in the produce aisle, just picking out his fruits and vegetables. Yeah, and it's like you know, a regular guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's terrific. And that show had a a vibe to it that is. Of course, it's you could say it's a spinoff or so of X-Files, but it really had its own thing going. And he, of course, brought his own heavy, cool vibe to the show. And I remember there being a Halloween episode. And what I remember from that show is that there was a lot of references where he was being messed with. And it was what was coming on the TV, but also what was coming on the radio and the radio changing stations and having a little snippets or like an SB7 spirit radio. You know what I'm saying? Where it's just like, and it was coming on and it was directed towards him. And I got the message from what I can remember, because it was a long time ago when I saw that, was that I'm here and I'm keeping tabs on you. I'm watching you. Yeah. And I'm going to mess with you a little bit. And if you have the courage... We could do a little tete a tete, you know, we'll, uh, there'll be a little back and forth here, but you got to be brave enough to play with the big boys. Yeah. It was a little bit like that because of course the character, Frank Black, he dove into the darkest depths of the supernatural and paranormal to find answers and, and help people. So yeah, anyway, there was a connection there, but like, seriously, if I heard that, I, uh, I'm not sure I would have to pull over at the very least. Yeah, definitely. I, and I'd probably have to, I'd take the car to the shop. And be like, what's what's wrong with this? What's wrong? <laughs> well, here? That, there you go. There's something going on. Like, yeah. No, that happens when when nothing's wrong. It's like you got a clank that's happening, and you take it in. They're like, well, we didn't hear it. We drove right out five miles, heard nothing, and then on the drive home, you hear it again. Yeah, yeah. You get Michigan J Frog. <laughs> uh, but what did you think of her her son's friend? That was really cool, and and the way she explained, due to his autism, he he doesn't do yeah. imaginary play right. or imagination imaginative play. That really adds an extra dimension to that because it's like, you know, she's saying this is not something that he would have even been capable of inventing just because of his disposition. Yeah, I was kind of moved a little bit because, of course, she's raised him Mm -hmm. and he's 18 now. And the fact that she said that was his first, maybe his only novel sentence. And I remember that that phrase and that if you know what that means, basically, it's the first, you know, he has his words, of course, that he uses and he can communicate. But that was the first thing that he expressed, I think, completely as a whole sentence thought kind of communication. Right, right, right. And because it made such an impact on him. The second thing is, if you remember, I believe this was in David Weatherly's Strange Intruders, and I will uh, reference that probably a few times during this episode. The story of a father who answered the door, and at the door were, I think, one or two black-eyed kids. And his son was in the next room and could not see who was at the door. And as soon as he approached the door, and I can't even remember if he opened it or not, his son just was desperate for him not to open the door and was screaming, Dad, don't, don't, don't open the door. Don't do it. Whoever that was. And he just knew. Yeah. Not even seeing the people outside. He just knew. Yeah. And the dog freaked out. And uh, there's a bit of heightened sensitivity with that kind of stuff, I think. Interesting. Okay. Now it's time to hear from our new friend, Persephone Holloway. And buckle up, folks, because this one's pretty freaky. It's titled, No Place at All. 
We'd like to welcome Persephone Holloway to the show to share her story with us. This is one that actually came into us a while ago. And when we were going through and organizing everything, and by we, I should say Forrest, thank you, Forrest. He was like, wow, this is, we. I think we need to bring this one forward. It, It slipped through the cracks. And we reached out to Persephone to come on the show. Persephone, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. One of the things that I loved about your email was that you were in the Bucks County area, which longtime listeners of the show know that Mm -hmm. I had almost seven years of experience going to and from there from New York. My wife and I had a house there, and I absolutely love that part of the country. I also think it's one of the spookiest parts of the country that there is. Hands down, from my own personal experience. And I knew that would sell it. Yeah, that point would sell it to Scott. (laughs) We'd have to have you on. Not only that, it is one of those lifetime records of things happening here and there that maybe you don't have a perspective on until years later, but they're terrifying at the time. And I think that's a little bit of what Persephone has experienced. Also, some of the incidents are just too freaky not to share. Really? And I think that, I mean, one of the things for me is, you know, Bucks County, for folks that don't know, and our listeners around the world, the entire eastern border of it is the Delaware River. And we've talked about rivers and water, you know, especially the same thing with Atchison being on the river. All those towns, those little towns that are on rivers, it seems like those are hot spots. And that particular county is no different, aside from being beautiful, just absolutely gorgeous country. It's one of those places where you can tell if you just didn't pay attention for 10 minutes or so, Mother Nature would take every ounce of it back. It's just so fertile. It's growing all the time. And and it's maybe just barely allowing you to be around when you're a human there with a house. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've been fighting the kudzu vines for yes. years. So I can testify that nature still is trying to take properties back here in Bucks County. Yeah, that'll be the first place that'll disappear in the apocalypse or the I am legend because it's everything just grows so fast and, and would just be, but it's again, we were talking off the air before we started and you, you asked me, had I ever experienced anything strange there? And we didn't have like anything super prominent, just other than a pretty much after dark, it was just a foreboding sense every night. And my wife and I would sit on our, we had this house, it was a very small house that we had there, but it had a little side porch. And we would sit out there at night and just listen to the animals. And there was a lot of weird sounds that you just could not figure out, it just out in the darkness. You're sitting there with like an app trying to identify it. And you're like, yeah. can't be identified. <laughs> well, time to go back in, I guess. Yeah, you're stretching. It's like, it's getting late. Let's go inside and watch TV. So, <laughs> Well, Persephone, let's start at the beginning because this is a childhood story. So many of these are. and. You can look at it both ways. People say like, well, you were five. How do you know what you saw was real? Kids have active imaginations. Certainly they do. But I also say these things happen to young people and animals and pets because no one's told them yet that this is impossible. So when do these strange experiences happen to you? When did it start off? In in your early childhood? Yes, absolutely. Um, so for me, just for some background, my mom was a former military nurse. She became a stay-at-home mom and is very like Roman Catholic, very strongly. Uh, and my father was a civil nuclear engineer, wow. very scientific, like opposites wow. attract, hardcore there. Yeah. But as I was growing up, I would tell stories like, you know, I would ask my mom, like, mom, who are these angels? Or like, mommy, who's that man? And like, you know, there would be nobody there. And I think because that was the only frame of reference I had, I would call them angels because I just didn't know how else to, you know, refer it to. And this one time, you know, the whole family went out to a restaurant in San Francisco. 
and we were sitting at a table and I was like fully conversing with this invisible person and everyone was like, oh, it's so cute. She has an invisible friend. Like, no, oh, let's give her, you know, let's let's feed them. And I was like, that's not necessary. They don't eat food. And they were like, okay, whatever. In the middle of dinner, the front door of the restaurant opened and closed on its own and everybody turned to look at it. And in that silence, I was just like, it's okay. My friend just needed to go home. <laughs> and so like that was, I think, the moment where it turned from like imaginary friends to right. like, oh, she's actually seeing stuff. And my mom was convinced that I just had some sort of natural gifts with this. And she, you know, my mom being Catholic, she's like, you know, she would give me books about like Catholic mystics and yeah. stuff to be like, maybe this is you like, you know, and I'm no longer a practicing Catholic, but I, you know, I appreciate the effort. But like, over the years, that never really went away. I always kind of had a sensitivity to things. You know, I don't want to say like clairvoyant, but sometimes I would, you know, have dreams or something would come true or whatever. So yeah, I would say it started in early childhood and continued pretty much straight through up until now. I just spent a long time denying it as an adult, as many of us do. It took a lifetime or till the age you are now to put this together. And you have some more insights in the last year or so, I would say. But beginning then when you were much younger and your mom started to take this a little more seriously because, again, as adults, they need to see something more than just a child's description or their imaginary play friend, right? Because, yeah. again, I a lot of the time, I'm sure that is just a child's imagination and, you know, having somebody to play with that they've pictured in their mind. But I don't think that's all the time <laughs> that uh, it is totally imaginary because we've seen evidence of that and kids knowing something that they shouldn't. Now, as this progressed, though, what was the first physical things that started happening to you in your world that were outside of just your imagination or sensing spirit? When I was four, my neighbor was watching me and she left the area for like, it could have only been like two minutes, but unfortunately I fell into her hot tub and I couldn't swim. And I literally felt hands come on my waist and push me up out of the water. And to this day, the adults were like, oh, the dog saved you. And I was like, no, I felt hands physically on my waist pick me up and push me out. So I'd say that was the first like physical experience that I had. And I remember it like as clearly as if I were still, I mean, obviously, because it's pretty traumatic for a child. So, you know, I remember it very clearly, but it's why, like, I argued for years with the adults, like, no, like this happened. I know it did. You know? <laughs> well, how did they reason the dog pulled you out? I mean, it was the dog. Even because wet? she had a dog and it was barking and it was out there with me. Uh -huh. So I think they were just like, oh, the dog must have right. pulled you out. Like, I, I don't know. Well, you get to the most reasonable thing that is not woo-woo and like, well, yeah. there's a dog, much like, well, it's got to be an owl, right? So <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a reasonable explanation. Did your mom think anything of that, about that story and what you claimed? She thought it was a guardian angel. Like in her mind, that was what it was. And, and you know, again, I'm not Catholic anymore, but right. I don't have anything against the idea that there may be something out there protecting sure. us or watching over us. So, you know, certainly something intervened that day um for sure we've had a few stories come in where small children infants were saved you know falling from a five six feet onto a hard floor and not a scratch on them not even crying wow. uh, just kind of laughing and so you wonder about that and you didn't feel though it was any deceased relative or somebody that you knew 
No. Um, and the only reason I'm saying that is because I've had experience since then with deceased relatives visiting in my dreams and talking to me. So I know how that feels. Yeah. And this did not feel like that. This felt like other. Like that's right. the best word I can describe it as, is it felt other. Did that lead to your next experience? Um, not directly. It was just an interesting <laughs> side yeah. thing there. But so for me, I think the next major physical things started to happen when we did move to Bucks County, because um, that part of my life was all California. So when we did move to Bucks County, much like Scott said, there is sort of a strange feeling to the air there. And I was, I want to say eight years old. But anyway, it was 1997. And we moved to this neighborhood. There, like to this day, I keep hearing other people tell me stories about this neighborhood. There was just so many weird things, like people experienced like poltergeist activity, ghosts, like they'd set something aside and it would be moved to a completely different area. Like this neighborhood is known for strange things to this day. You're no longer in this part of Bucks County, but you mentioned it by name in your original email. Are you comfortable sharing it now? Yes, I am. So this is the Timber Knoll neighborhood in Washington Crossing. And that area in general has a lot of strangeness. It's a very quiet neighborhood. So you wouldn't really think that like it's a very nice neighborhood. There's houses on either side. There's a lovely, you know, wooded median in the middle that separates the two sides of the road, which will come up later. But yeah, it's just a very nice, quiet neighborhood. So don't go drive there like looking for things. Please don't disturb them. But also, you know. just for people that are not familiar with American history, maybe you could tell folks why it's called Washington Crossing. Sure. So Washington Crossing is so named because it is the area where Washington crossed the Delaware. And the famous Christmas Eve, the and anytime you see that painting of him standing on a boat crossing with like ice on the river, that is that area. And uh, even older than that, like in general, just Revolutionary War, Civil War, there's so much history in this area. There are buildings from the 1700s. You know, it's definitely a place that a lot of tourists come to look at because it is it is beautiful, but there's a lot of weirdness because of that and potentially because of the indigenous tribes in the area like the Lenape and others, you know, they have stories going back even longer. So in fact, this neighborhood that I'm at is not far from an area known as Buckingham Mountain. And that mountain has countless stories. Like I'm sure if you guys ever wanted to do something on it, there's probably a whole bunch of stories you could find about it. Orbs, like lit orbs seen on hills and like, you know, ghost children and just it runs the gamut. But this place is not far from that neighborhood. So just going in, knowing that this whole area has weirdness to it, I think is important. And being a child there, the story that you sent us that I think jumped out to Forrest when he was going through uh, the, the stories that had been sent in a while back, one of them involved you at the time that you were in school there. Now, you mentioned to us before we started recording today that there's actually something that preceded even that. So what was yes. that first event that then led to the one that you wound up emailing us about? Sure. So I was at a, you know, Catholic all-girls school. And I, at the time, was heavily bullied because I was the new kid. Nobody knew me. I'd come in out of nowhere. I was a year younger. I was like, I don't know, a know-it-all, and they hated it. So I spent a lot of time by myself. And this particular day, I was on the playground, on the swing set alone. And it was very strange because normally there's a chaperone or something nearby. But for whatever reason, they just weren't 
there. It was just me by myself on the swings and everybody else was like way across, like on the other side of the soccer fields doing some sort of activity. And for some reason I wasn't with them, which is also weird. And as I was on the swings, I was singing to myself and this man just appeared. I don't remember him walking up. I don't remember where he came from. He was dressed in a blue jumpsuit with no seams, no zippers, nothing. And he had like a silver belt around his waist, which my childhood diaries claim did something. But I don't go into detail as to what I thought it did. I just knew it did something. Well, Persephone, you know the belt is so significant <laughs> with the jumpsuit. It's the grinning. I know now. Everybody's got one. If you're... Uh... <laughs> If you're from the other, you got to have the belt. It's just, I'm not not making light of it. It's just, it comes up so much. No, it's classic fashion for them, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Or utility. I don't know. But um, yeah, this man was was very good looking. He was pale, blonde hair, blue eyes. And the descriptions to this day is his eyes were like bioluminescent. Like they were so blue, they almost glowed. And I almost couldn't take my eyes from his face. Like we made eye contact and I couldn't look away. And I I knew there were quote unquote children with him. Like there were smaller people with him, but I couldn't look down to look at them. And it was like, I would try to tilt my head down to look and I couldn't see them. I was just fixated on him. And we had this whole conversation and I never remember his lips moving once. And he was just like, what's that you're singing? And I was like, oh, this is from Phantom of the Opera. It's a favorite play of mine. And I was totally comfortable with yeah. him, by the way. Like, no no fear, no like, oh, who is this weird man, stranger danger, none. And he was like, well, what are you singing? Well, Phantom of the Opera, it's my favorite show. Um, and he's like, well, why are you by yourself? And I was trying to make excuses because a kid never wants to admit they're being bullied to an adult. They just right. don't. And it was like he pulled the images from my head of like these other kids bullying me or pushing me down or whatever. Like he just like yanked it from my head and I knew that he knew. And he was just like, well, that strikes me as rather lonely and sad. And I was like, again, trying to make excuses like, no, it's fine, whatever. And he was like, well, do you want to go on adventures? Do you want to see the stars? You wanted to be an astronaut, didn't you? And I did, but I don't know how he knew that because it was a year before I had seen Story Musgraves talk at a science fair in Maryland. And I was like, yeah, like I would love to do that, but I can't because my eyesight's terrible, you know? (laughs) And he held out a hand to me and he said, do you want to come with me? And I hesitated and it wasn't out of fear. It was just because I was like, you know, my mom's going to be mad if I skip classes. Like I can't, I can't come with you. And so we said, that's fine. I'll come for you another day. And just like that, this man was gone. I don't remember him leaving. I don't remember the people that were with him leaving, but everybody was just gone. And I was by myself on the playground and I was suddenly struck by this like notion that I should leave like oh I'm by myself and that's scary and I don't want to be alone anymore and I ran to go meet the other kids it was very strange and oh the other thing I also saw a flash of silver from behind the school no idea what it was I just saw it like go off and I was like and it was like off above the woods um and it disappeared and that was it and I completely forgot about that conversation until this year 2023 so this is 1997 but that whole conversation left my mind I didn't even remember it. All right. So how how old were you at this point? So I'm trying to remember yeah. how old I would be. So it was fifth grade in America. 
but I was a year younger than everybody else. So I want to say nine turning 10 because it was before my birthday. Right. So, but that's, you're old enough to have uh, pretty clear memories. And this recently mm-hmm. came back to you, by the way, I, I have memories like that all the time. They're, they're less uh, ethereal than the ones you're talking about, but it's an interesting experience when you're like, oh yeah, that happened to me, you know, without all the special circumstances. Usually it's just like, oh, I just remember I wrecked my bike or something, but, <laughs> but, but still those kinds of memories, they're so unique and they, they give you such a, a special weird feeling. But let me ask you, the question that listeners always email after they hear a story like this. How do you know it wasn't just a really good looking guy that got out of a van was trying to kidnap you? I don't know. But I feel like if he was, wouldn't he have just done it? I was by myself. Everyone was really far away. And if I didn't take his hand, why wouldn't he just grab me? Like, it was so easy. And I was the kind of kid who was so friendly to everybody. Like, I'm shocked I was never actually kidnapped by, like, a human person, you know? (laughs) Like, because if somebody started talking to me, I would just walk away with them. And my mom, like, has stories of, like, losing me in places and trying to find me. And I'm just sitting down. Like, there was a time she found me sitting in a Borders, if you guys remember Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like, literally, I was sitting in a Borders talking to a quantum physicist for like two hours and she couldn't find me. (laughs) And when she found me, I was sitting in this bookstore. She's like, what is going on? So, yeah, I was a weird kid. Now, well, that sounds awesome, though. I would as a as a parent, I would have been in a hot panic, but you picked the right person to talk to. So, (laughs) right, I guess. Yeah. In talking about the feeling at the time, I mean, to so many kids, maybe the more adventurous ones, myself, that's so tempting to get that offer because yeah, I want to see the stars. Can you bring me back to this second here, to this moment so my parents won't freak out and and I won't miss any class, but that's not part of the bargain. It's a little bit like Richard Dreyfuss in Close Encounters. I mean, that's a big story point contention is that, yeah, he goes off on the adventure of the universe, but he has to leave his family and his kids. And yeah. that's the bargain. Or if you get abducted, you know, these people are coming back as young people. Uh, I think I'm not spoiling the story, Scott. I think most people have seen it. But you come back and uh, with time dilation, you're still 27 and everybody you know is dead. So there is a, a trade-off, a, a devil's bargain. That's not the devil, but it's, you know, there's a bargain there that you have to trade with, but it's so tempting. But I understand too that, you know, we love our parents and you do wonder though, if some people go missing, was it from an encounter like this where they just like, yeah, I'll go. I mean, they'll be fine. I'll come back, you know, I'll explain everything and and they they just disappear. Or is it something about the permission that's given? Because we're probably going to talk a little bit about Terry Lovelace later on because you, you did run into him and I've gotten to yes. know him. But I remember him even when it was not great and terrifying and he did see stars, but not in the way he wanted the the little monkey men come in and they ask him, don't you want to come play with us? And he's like, no, you're scary. And then they get angry. And so so he felt, though, something was deep down was not right about this. They're not really monkeys. They're not really with the clown masks. This is not right. I should not go with them. You had none of that, though. This was all very benevolent and peaceful to you. It was. And I felt like I knew him, which I don't know if I said, but I just felt like intrinsically on some level, I I did already know him, which made it also less scary because I was just like, oh yeah, like I know this guy. It's fine. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. And I didn't say no. I just said not now, which is significant. When was the last time you looked up into the night sky? This is Persephone Holloway of the KLU Keep 
Looking Up podcast, and today you're listening to Astonishing Legends. Well, let's move on to the next part of the story, which is the one that really jumped out at us when you sent it in to us. I love the way that this unfolded. So yeah, let's let's get into it. It was maybe not even two weeks after this incident. You know, I was only at the school for a very short amount of time because I was bullied. My parents pulled me out in March. So timeline wise, I can be pretty confident that this was still September of 1997, though I'm not sure exactly when. But my bus driver always drove me in up around the median and the circle where my parents' house was, would drop me off like right at my driveway and then keep going because he had to turn around anyway. It was just easier. So my mom never waited on the corner for me. And that's an important point. This day, he stopped at the entrance to my neighborhood which you can, again, go look it up on Google Maps. It's like maybe a 10-minute walk in. And he stopped and just pulled over, and I was like, this isn't my stop. And he was like, well, it is today. And I was like, okay. And I just got off there, and he drove away. And so it's just me walking, you know, in my neighborhood by myself. It's September, blue, beautiful sky. The clouds are puffy white clouds. Like it's a beautiful day, but it's like unseasonably hot. Like the weather is actually pretty hot that day. And I was walking. And when I hit the median is when I would say things shifted. So the way that this neighborhood works, it's very open air until you hit the edge of the woods where all the houses are. Like it's just very wooded neighborhood. And something about the way that the trees just you know, it's the canopy, it's very dark. It just gives you kind of a foreboding feeling when you step under it. And I've taken people to this neighborhood since and everybody's remarked they get that feeling. Like as soon as you hit that area, there's just something weird about it. Um, And back then they didn't take as good care of the median. So everything was really overgrown. You couldn't see through well to the other side. It was very like you're walking down this little alley of trees and houses, which are like far off the road. Like they built the houses back off of the road. So I guess they weren't like right on it, but it does feel very isolating for a child walking down the road. As I hit this median, the only way I can describe it is everything went still. No birds, no wind, nothing. And all I could hear was my feet on the asphalt and the dead leaves under my shoes, but that's it. And everything else felt very like muffled or still outside of this like bubble that I felt like I was in. And as I'm walking, you know, it occurred to me, I was like, man, it's like 2.30, like three o'clock, maybe there should be other kids. I was in a neighborhood full of other children, but there was nothing like somebody would be outside playing. Um, but almost as soon as that thought hit me, I heard, and it, it didn't sound like it was coming from any particular place, but I heard people singing Ring Around the Rosie. All I could think was, that's not children, that's not human. That was the thought that came into my head as soon as I heard it. Like, it just, something about it sounded so off to me. I immediately was filled with this fear at hearing it, and I I just felt like I had to get out of there. I was a child who was very much into Irish legends, and the thought that occurred to me for some reason was, it's Finvara and his evil host, and they're coming to take me away. 
literally that's the thought I had. I have no idea like where that came from in my childhood mind, but that's what I thought. I felt like there was something behind me bearing down on me, like chasing me, and I started to run. I did not turn around to look at it. I was too scared to look. I had this child mindset of if I don't look at it, it can't see me, which of course we all know is not true, but that was you know, where my brain was. Now, from my perspective, I was running, and the next thing I know, I was at the base of my driveway running up to my house, and I couldn't remember how I got in there. Like, there was still a part of the circle to run, but I didn't remember running it. All I could hear around me was the sound of something like bells and people screaming is the best way that I can describe it. Maybe even like a battlefield. And it was very confusing because I didn't understand what I was hearing. In the air, there was this reddish mist or light. And I was just running like full force to my front door and banging on the door to get in. And nobody answered. I collapsed down on the front steps crying because, you know, nobody was coming for me and I just, I didn't know what was going on. And then all of a sudden the front door opened and my mom stepped out and she was like in the process of getting on like a windbreaker. And she was like, where have you been? And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like banging on the door trying to get in. And she's like, I didn't hear you. And I was like, what do you mean? I was crying. Why didn't you answer the door? And she was like, I was just coming out to look for you. You're 45 minutes late. And for years, I didn't know during that time what had happened to me. Just that time had disappeared. Now, did you say in your initial email that you tried to sense where the the singing was coming from? And you looked around and it the closer you got to your front door, the more it seemed like it was coming from the sky. Yes, it seemed more like it was coming from somewhere above me or it, I like to say no place at all, because to me it was I don't want right. to necessarily say it was up, but it just didn't sound like it was coming from a physical place around me, almost like either I was just hearing it in my head or if we want to get woo, like another dimension or something, like it was coming right. from somewhere else to me. When you were hearing this, uh, the impression I got, though, was that, you know, of course, we all think it's a children's song. Just quickly looking at, up the wiki entry on it, it comes from England, they think. Uh, ring a ring of roses or ring a ring of rosy. In the U.S., uh, we more commonly think of it as kids ring around the rosy. The first descriptions emerge in mid-19th century, but there are many reports that it goes decades earlier across Europe, and you know, as it says, the lyrics vary, but there's a modern interpretation that it's somehow related to the plague in England, in London, and however, that could be a false folk etymology. So, it, you know, it's like so many other things, it remains unknown and uh unverifiable, but it is a very old song for our timeline here and may deal with plague and death from a children's perspective. British version says, uh, ring, a ring of roses, a pocket full of posies, a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. In the American version, common uh, versions include a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. That's the one that I heard. The ashes okay. one. Mm -hmm. The ashes. Did it seem 
significant or poignant or meaningful that it was this song. Do you have any feeling why you were hearing this song in particular? So, no. Um, I don't even want to say at the time. Like, my initial reaction to all of this was clearly these you yeah. know, beings, entities, whatever, were trying to latch on to that thought I had of, oh, I should be hearing children <laughs> playing. So, like, quick... <laughs> get some children playing sounds, play right. it at her. So she feels comforted, right. <laughs> but instead it was terrifying, you know, um, right. so that's like my initial thought, but bloodline wise, I mm. have old Irish blood. I have old British blood. Like there are other reasons to bring this up. There's also the connection with death entities, anything like that, which has actually overshadowed a lot of my other experiences over the years. And it keeps coming back and for anyone who reads into ufological lore, there is some weird association sometimes with underworld and these entities, mm -hmm. and we don't really know what that is or what the connection is. Um, so now I feel like I have a little better idea of the why, but genuinely, I'm just speculating. No one's ever explained to me why. To uh, Forrest's point a minute ago, I too was looking around, and I'm looking at a blog entry from July of 2014 on uh, from the Library of Congress posted by author Stephen Winnick. And same thing Forrest said that, you know, folklorists don't agree on the origins of Ring Around the Rosie. But listen to this paragraph here. This is after debunking the connection to the plague. This is none of, and talking about multiple versions here. It says, none of these versions fits the plague interpretation very well, but they do reveal other functions and meanings. The rhyme is often used as a playful courtship game in which children dance in a ring, then suddenly stoop, squat, curtsy or curchy, because there's a version of it where curchy is in the lyrics, or in some cases fall to the ground. The last to do so, or the one that jumps the gun, has to pay a penalty, which is sometimes to profess love for or hug or kiss another child. In some versions, this child then takes up a place in the middle of the ring, representing the rosy or rosebush. Newell, which refers to William Wells Newell, wrote this in 1883, apparently, but Newell explicitly states that the game was played like this in America in the 1880s and European analogs from the same time and later are similar. In many versions then, the roses and posies signify what flowers often signify in traditional European culture, not suffering and death, but joy and love. Hmm. I mean, that fits too for other weird reasons involving past right, life stuff, right, which is a right. whole other story <laughs> for another day. But 18, as soon as you said 1880s, I was like, does that oh, make that's a connection? Did anyway, that? Okay. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. It absolutely does for me personally. Well, <laughs> so that's weird. <laughs> I'm actually weirded out right now. I'm sorry. Well, that just no, is like that not is, uh, It connects to what of our good friend Rich Haddam's favorite lines from the others who snatch you away. What can we do to make you stop screaming? Why are you in such pain? You're not going to remember this later anyway, because I'm in mortal terror right now. And it doesn't really compute for them like, okay, really, you're just annoying. Please stop. As a comforting measure or just like, uh, quick, uh, play the, the kids thing we got on file, you know, file 7072. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Now that you're mentioning that there's some significance with the 1880s and that particular use of it, mm, that may actually have been a thing yeah. to find out later. In fact, I would argue a synchronicity that just occurred right now as we're talking for me. So thank <laughs> you, because I guess maybe that's what it was for. I don't know. Sometimes that happens. Uh, yep. We find that, that quite a bit. It's not until you start digging into it and talking to people, or it could happen sometime afterwards that more significant unconnected meaning is unearthed. But my question here, because what struck me when I read this is like, is a 12-year-old around that time, 
what abject terror you would be experiencing in hearing this. And the fact that the song, as you say, then turns into what sounds like more adults screaming bloody murder with bells. And what what do you think the bells mean with the screaming? What is all that about? So the bells, I associate a lot just because of historically, too, with fae accounts. You hear a lot of mm-hmm. things with bells and the fae that you go together. So that's potentially what that was. This year, I was talking about this story to uh, Lori McDonald. She is a hypnotherapist. We did not do a regression, but we did discuss this incident. She was like, well, you're, you're naturally psychically gifted. And she said, if there was something with time dilation that occurred, it's quite possible that you were picking up on the psychic energy of Bucks County and that area. And if there was a battlefield nearby, it could be very well. You were just picking up on the battlefield and hearing it because your senses were so heightened from everything that had just occurred. And so, you know, I don't know if that's true, but that would make sense with the sounds that I was hearing because like I would have described it as a battlefield even as a kid. Right, right. So it's the the screams and cries of people being blown apart and and dying. And that is uh, also a very common thing we've heard from people, especially in Europe, but sometimes here in the States where they, I don't know if it's something, well, people tie that to stone tape theory where you're hearing echoes from the past that have now just kind of layered over or keep replaying and people hearing the sound of what sounds like horses on cobblestones with clanking of armor, men shouting, carriages things like that. And it's just a brief thing. They don't feel anything. They don't see anything. It's just, but a very real sound as if it's playing all around you or very specifically in an area. And that could be not supernatural, just that's more paranormal. That's Mm -hmm. just a phenomenon that happens as an echo. But this sounds more directed towards you. Interesting. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, I don't know. And it could be, again, just something that needed to happen so that later I could make the connection like, oh, maybe I did pick up on that psychically or hear that. Like, um, you know, I have stories from my teenage years of we used to go ghost hunting and I would get very quick flashes or visions of something occurring. And then it would be confirmed by whoever the historical person was like, oh, this thing happened here. And I'd be like, cool, I just saw that. (laughs) Like, This just (laughs) happened in my head. So that's good to know. I don't know. Sometimes I find, especially with a phenomenon, things happen that make no sense at the time or may even seem senseless or scary and you just don't know. And it's not until, you know, years later that it comes into effect and it suddenly starts to make more sense. And you're like, maybe that's why. So really, the only explanation I have is maybe to to help confirm to me, like, yes, I do have these abilities. Yes, this is real. Like, trust it. Because I spent mm-hmm. so long doubting it in my adult life and shutting myself off from it, you know. Well, I guess I'll just ask, uh, like, what did your what did your parents think? And then that because that you may have in other experiences. And this is terrific, especially the uh, I didn't know the jumpsuit man was coming. I'm very pleased. <laughs> just how your mom took this, like, because as you said in the email, it's like, well, you'd think that you'd be more <laughs> worried about your eight year old or your twelve year old, or just like what what was going on. Sure. So the weird thing about the the following up with this experience was my mom didn't react which if it were any anyone in any other time in life, like if something happened, my mom's like the first one to hug me, to comfort me, to be like, oh my gosh, what happened to you? Like, but I genuinely just think we went inside and just went about our day. 
And that's so weird, right? Like, and, and it, you know, not just that, but with the bus driver too, like that was the only time he ever deviated from that. And he never did that yeah. know, before or since. So there is some, I think, external influence when the situation and like how people react. Yeah, I really, I think that's a really good point. I mean, one of the things that Forrest and I have talked about, and in, in probably even in this episode already, we've talked about the paranormal apathy, we call it, which is where the people around you do not seem to be interested in the thing that you're seeing or experiencing, even if they acknowledge its presence. But there's another part of this, and that, and this comes back to the Terry Lovelace of it all, all the stuff that led up to them going out. And for our listeners who don't know who Terry Lovelace is, uh, we did an episode or a few episodes with Terry, he had an abduction experience um, in a place called Devil's Den. So look for our Devil's Den show. And then he came back and talked about incidents that other people then mailed into him and he made into a book. So that's what that's about. But one of the things that Terry talks about is before he and his best friend struck out for Devil's Den was that they were both undertaking very unusual behavior before they took that trip trying to get things ready for the trip that they then left behind, most specifically a camera. camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, which would be the perfect thing to have if you're going to have an encounter of some strangeness. So I am getting to a point where it's like, okay, yeah, because also a bus driver, and this wasn't the 70s, this was, nine. what year was this? This was 97. 97. At yeah. this point, bus drivers have a pretty good grasp on liability and stranger danger and the whatever. So it's like, I don't know very many bus drivers that are going to drop you off where you have to take a long walk, even if you do sort of know the neighborhood, there's a lot of risk there that they don't necessarily want to assume. So there's this idea, there's this idea that maybe that person was manipulated. And then on the other end of the spectrum, your mom not taking seriously or or not going, because I know for me, if my son at your age that you were here is coming home off the bus and, and has been missing for 45 minutes, I would be at a meltdown stage. Now I get that she was putting on her jacket to come out and try and find you. But the strange thing is, you know, he's older now, so I worry less about it. Like he's hanging out on his at his campus today until like six o'clock by himself and with his friends. It's like, okay, that's fine. But the age that you were then, that's like I would have been freaked out. So for you to just come in and and you guys to go about your business, it's very much a you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for moment. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's other times too, like, you know, I just think about this actually ties into another story here uh, that I had emailed you guys about. But it's a short, just a short one. There was a time where at our house we had everyone over for Christmas Eve and everybody heard a thump like a person falling upstairs and the cats were all around us. And literally the whole table stopped talking, looked up at the ceiling, paused for a minute. And then just kept going like nothing had happened. And that's like what we're mm. talking about, this paranormal apathy. It's like weird things happen, but you just forget about it or ignore it. And then you guys all broke into singing Deo, right? By now. Right? <laughs> exactly. well, the Rosie. That would be that, that would be the weird, the freaky tie. Yeah. It, what it's sounding like here is that droid moment that Scott's describing from Star Wars, in that people are being subtly directed to experience something or stay away or guided because this has to happen. And that's been deemed it's go, this is going to happen by people with more power than us. Yeah. And we're easily influenced and, uh, you know, adults, children, animals alike. But it's just weird in that at the very, I guess, superficial level. And that's something that we talk about a lot. The, the man who was cursed was seeing UFOs, Christian Rapolo, and, Johnny e. L. Tenney talk about is that there could be something happening in the sky and it's not really about them. They're just people on the street corner and they don't want to look at it. 
And some people even get angry and mad. And it's like, you've just bothered them and they don't want to hear about, there's something I think they're probably could be ancient as, as people and, and inherited that's in our DNA. Like, don't mess with that. Don't even talk about it. Don't look there. Or it could be with the Fae. Don't mess with them. Don't bother them. Just respect them. Get out of their way and don't talk about it. Or it could be, like I said, a technology. Who knows? But this leads to something. I guess the, the next thing you, you experienced was with, also with your mother. Now, just as a side note, your dad is... Uh, how is he taking all this being <laughs> being a scientist? Um, yeah, I don't even know if we've brought this up with him. I know within the last uh, couple of months, like I've gotten my mom on board talking about this stuff. And I try to mm-hmm. talk to my dad about it. And we're like, hey, you want to talk about like UFOs? And he just kind of goes <laughs> uh, and just leaves the room. And that's it. <laughs> right. He can't be bothered. It's the easiest way like not to have to deal with any of that. And uh, you know, he's got other stuff going on, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But what was the next thing that happened after that, or maybe between that and the experience that you had with your mother driving in the car? Sure. I mean, I've had a lot of experiences, but just the mm-hmm. one that I told you guys about. So this was June 2014, thereabouts, you know, I'm a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and I are driving home from some event in downtown Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, she's driving, I'm on the passenger side, because I didn't have a license at that point. And outside the window, we're noticing there's this beautiful cloud. And we're like, oh, wow, look, it's the sunset. It's so pretty. And we were both like looking at it and we realized that the sun had already set. It's already night. So we're both staring at this cloud and we're like, wait, that can't be the sunset. I could see, I I haven't confirmed if she saw it too, but I saw this fiery orb come out of the cloud. Oh, you know what? She did see it because we were we were talking about it and she was like, oh, maybe that's a plane because, you know, she's driving. She can't stare at it. And I'm looking at this like that's a fireball in the sky. If that's a plane, we're all in trouble. Like, that's not good, you know. (laughs) But, you know, it was big enough that if I could have just taken out my phone camera, I think it would have come up even on like that old school phone. I think you could have seen something, but I couldn't think to take my phone out. I just kind of watched it and my mom just kind of kept driving and it just went away and we never spoke of it again until I brought it up years later and was like, hey, you remember that time? And she was like, oh, you know, I do kind of remember that. Did it seem to fall to the earth or did it travel in the sky indefinitely? Do you remember where it went or its destination or how it? I don't. Um, In that case, I remember it just kind of going through the sky and probably disappearing into another cloud. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of orbs since then, especially this year. And most of them tend to eventually flare out or vanish. Yes. So I can assume that this did the same thing. But I stopped paying attention, stopped caring for whatever reason, which doesn't make yeah. any sense. Because if you saw something that extraordinary, all you'd want to do is stare at it. But something just made me be like, OK, that's done. Time to you know watch the highway. <laughs> so exciting. you know. <laughs> right. Do you think that the fireball is what illuminated the cloud? Yes. The picture that I had in my mind was, well, at first, was that this was a very, you know, bright orange, pinks, very beautiful looking, you know, purples in this cloud, as you might see with a rain cloud at sunset, especially even after the sun's gone down a little bit, you know, of course, this, depending on the altitude, 
the sun is still striking it, illuminating it. But it wasn't that. It, it just, and I wondered if the cloud stayed illuminated like that after the fireball left. But you think that this fireball, that's what was lighting up the cloud. Yes, but it did look like a sunset cloud before it came yeah. out of it. So that's what's intriguing to me was it did have like all the colors because my mom and I were like, oh, that's so cool, which, you know, yeah, but it yeah. was far enough after dark too that I don't think, like, again, I'm I'm not a meteorologist, so I can't right. say for sure that it wasn't <laughs> right. the sunset reflecting. But after that fireball left the cloud, that cloud no longer had that sheen to it. It was just a normal night cloud. So I think it was that fireball that was lighting it up. Right. And as much as you were looking at it, this fireball just exited or kind of faded out at some point or exited the horizon. Correct. Any missing time with that experience? Not that we know of, but who knows? You know, um, I will say kind of unfortunately, my mom and I are both very ADHD. So there have been many a car trip where we get lost mm-hmm. and end up home like hours later because usually we're talking and we stop paying attention right. to exits and we get turned around. Right. But then you start to wonder, like, is that purposeful? Like, did we have yeah. missing time that we weren't aware of within that trip? Like, who knows? That is a form of, you know, a lot of people don't believe in hypnosis, but that getting just lost in your own head because you've done it so many times, it's that repetition and you get home and nothing weird happened. You just don't remember the trip. You don't remember anything that you saw driving home because you've done it so much and you are in a form of hypnosis. But in this case, though, that happened, (laughs) that passed. And what was the next weird thing that happened to you? June of 2018, I want to say, I was up in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is a good deal kind of north of where I live currently. And it's kind of very rural area, woodsy. You know, there are populated areas, but there's a lot more just unpopulated rural. And a bunch of us were at an event at a campground. And this would have been Sunday morning bunch of us were standing out on this patio and it was very overcast. It was rainy. I do remember that like thunderstorms in the distance kind of a day. And it's because of that. When I saw this, I didn't immediately assume paranormal. This bright blue ball of light appeared on a hill. So it was a tree covered hill, but there was a path cut out. And I don't know if it was for skiing or if it was for like high voltage power lines, but there was like trees, trees, bare ground. And so I don't know what even made me look out that way because we were all in a conversation, but I turned and I saw this blue glowing orb there just kind of floating. My immediate thought was it's ball lightning because thundering rain, you know. And so I I poked everybody around me and I was like, guys, 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 there's ball lightning. Look at this. This is awesome because like you never see this. Let's like, like look at it. And so I like poked everyone and everyone else in my circle just turned to look at it and was like, oh, and just turned away and continued their conversation. And I was so annoyed because I was like, why aren't you looking at this? Like, this is awesome. And so I actually kind of stepped a little bit away from the group to continue watching it for a while. And, you know, now I know from other people that I've spoken with that ball lightning usually doesn't last very long. And this was just floating down the side of the hill. And the, the impression that it gave me was that it was looking for something. Like it kept going into the edge of the trees and I could see the blue light from it lighting up the trees. And then it would kind of move back and it would go on the other side and it would check the other side and then it would come back. And it must have been five minutes that it was doing this, just kind of moving down the hill and checking stuff. And then eventually I got hit with the apathy of, I've been watching this for a while. I should interact with my friends. And I just turned away 
and just stopped looking at it. So I never saw what happened to it. I just stopped looking at it. And I was like, why did I stop looking? Or why didn't I pull out my cell phone and start filming it? I was about to ask, no thought at all from anybody no. about taking out your mm -hmm. phone in 2018, very easy to do and get some high def footage, but nobody thought to do that. Even at that time, I was still like, oh, it's ball lightning. Like, right. I just thought it was a natural phenomenon, which, I mean, I still would have wanted to capture on camera, sure, but like, not, I wasn't yeah. thinking paranormal. Like, I wasn't like, oh my God, I have to get this. Like, no. No, even that would be cool and rack you up a lot of uh, likes and clicks on uh, your social media right. apps. <laughs> People have gotten a little bit of it, but if you look that up and St. Elmo's Fire and some of these other things, there's very little, well, that's why it's so hard to study by scientists because there's so little captured evidence of it. But it does seem to, there is a little bit of it if you go searching. But in your case here, what happened after that? What was the aftermath of that feeling or experience? Did you keep thinking about it or did it immediately kind of like just fade from your mind? So much like the experience in my neighborhood of at the missing time, yeah. I would tell this story to people over the years like, hey, this really weird thing happened. So I never forgot it because I kept repeating the story. But people around me did forget about it. So the mm -hmm. gentleman that I had been dating at the time, like, I want to say in 2021, I brought this story back up to him, which isn't that mm -hmm. long after 2018. Right, right. And I was like, hey, do you remember this time when this weird thing happened? Like, I'm starting to think it wasn't ball lightning. And he just like, didn't remember it at first. And it took him a bit to remember. And he's like, oh, wow. Yeah, I did forget about that. But like, he just didn't really care about it. Yeah. And he wasn't really a parent into the paranormal guy anyway. But right, like, right. You know, it, it was just so weird. Like, how did I remember it so clearly? But he forgot and he was right there and he saw it. But when you brought it back up to him and he remembered it, did, was he still kind of apathetic about it or? He was apathetic, but also like to me, I felt like he was a little freaked out by it. Like he didn't want to talk about it anymore. Like he changed the subject because he just, just didn't want to talk about it. And I was like, OK, so you did get weirded out <laughs> by it, I guess, you know? Yeah. Well, before we move on to the more current happenings and the, I don't want to say Terry Lovelace, <laughs> the, the reckoning, to me, it's a little bit up to this point, like an epilogue of a, of a lifetime story in that you look back on it and you wonder what's happened and what does it mean? And you're still having some experiences, but with greater or a little bit more understanding, I just want to ask Scott, how does that add to your orb? Beater. The uh, I'm not. I stopped <laughs> doing orbs like... years ago. I've stopped. You know. I here's what okay. I will say. All right. In a still photograph on a camera with a mirror, a DSLR camera or an old film camera, I think the likelihood of a a static thing being dust is very high or, or lens flare. I think it's very, very high. Since then, mm -hmm. I have seen, and I'm more convinced specifically about the path that orbs take on video. And I've heard a lot more stories similar to what Persephone was describing with the light in the woods, which we have seen described over and over and over with multiple stories from weird things that people ascribe to nature we don't understand to Skinwalker Ranch has a, just dozens of stories of those kinds of exact sightings. So I believe more in them now. It depends on how they are captured and, right. and how the story is relayed. So to answer that question, I do think it's easy to get, because of the nature of the construction of a camera with a mirror and a lens, it's easy to get sure. a fake orb in a still photograph and, and even on video, depending on what it is. But I think probably for me, one of the orbs on video that changed my mm -hmm. opinion of them 
was the one that we got, and I don't know how it works into every episode, but it was not that we got, but that was provided to us by the <laughs> professor who did the research at the Sally House up in the nursery. And you see uh, there's a group of his university students are sitting in a circle, and on the floor there's a, like a Nerf football, and the ball rolls over. And when you watch that clip, it's on our YouTube page, actually. You can go right there and find it. Well, hopefully you can find it, but it's there. You see the ball roll over, and there's an orb that passes through that very clearly is moving right past that when the ball turns and and changing course. And I know this is a closed room. There's not wind blowing through there. There's, you know, it's not a, a ton of things that it might be. And I've seen more and more of those now in paranormal footage that we've gotten. They have a very specific sort of trajectory to them that seems to be sentient or controlled in some way. So I believe in those, and I believe in these stories more. And after reading Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, and we are talking about this sort of contagion and the scary time that one passed through somebody, and that person wound up having medical issues of a significant nature for the rest of their lives at the point at which it passed through them. So that was that's my next thing, folks. It's like, yes, I believe in them now and stay away from them because you don't want them passing through you. It's not good. It's not good. Speaking of the Sally House, Josh has video he was taking of himself while he's using the DR60 and there is an orb. Again, you could say, well, it's just dust riding the wave of an air current, but it looks like it's illuminated a little bit and it goes into his head. You know, it didn't stick to his, it wasn't a piece of dust. It, and I think it came out the other side. And at that moment, he doesn't, well, again, you could say he was, he faked it all, but he gets an impression. Like, I think uh, we got something on the DR60 because you can't hear it as it's happening. He plays it back. And yes, at that moment, he gets an, an EVP. So it all ties in. I think for myself, the first time that I really looked at one that was on a digital photograph is I was a good friend, still am with the, property manager or the building manager at my old place of work. And he is a little more open to that stuff. And he was showing me because he knew I was starting to do this podcast. This would be way back in like 2015, perhaps. And he shows me his picture. He's like, Forrest, I got these weird dots, like these orbs in this photograph. Because he was going around taking pictures of empty rooms for renting out some of the office rooms that have been cleared out. And yes, they're dusty, you know, and, and that's what I thought. And he says, well, what do you think about this? Because when you blow it up, you can kind of see faces in them. And that's another weird thing and about it. And we both suggested like, yeah, this could be pareidolia. You're just imagining faces in there. And we kind of left it at that. I said, well, you know, this, this can happen. It could be dust. It was dusty in there. You go into the room, you're kicking it up. It's possible it's that, but I, I don't know. Since that time, while still working there over the next three, maybe four years, I'd come to have my own very slight feelings that the place was haunted. And I asked this person later, I said, hey, do you know if there's any weird stories? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we, we have trouble getting cleaning crew to stay here and clean overnight because they get freaked out. So many little things have happened. And so... Then you go back and you put that together. It's like, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's not dust. I don't know. But that possibility is now on the table for me personally and that maybe it wasn't just dust. So that's where I stand with the orbs. But Persephone, what after this, in the next phase of your experience and your journey, I would call it, what series of things happened to you or, or series of events happened that is now changed you just in the last year? Just in the last year, I met and spoke with Lori McDonald. She's on the MUFON list as a hypnotherapist. And so she did a 
I don't even know what to call this kind of hypnosis session, but it was specifically a hypnosis session to open up my own personal psychic ability so that I would start remembering things on my own without necessarily having to, you know, do regressions. And so she did that. And then we did like a childhood healing session. And that one specifically opened up like a can of worms because I started just getting back all these memories and I started free writing them in notebooks. And it was like mm -hmm. seven pages of just like memories. It spurred me to go back and pull out my childhood diaries and start reading through them. And there were entries that I don't remember writing. Like there were entries from when I was 12 saying like, oh, I was abducted when I was nine. Oh, these things happened like with this paranormal stuff. And I just I had no memory of writing it. And so I think, you know, that really like shifted my whole worldview. And actually, funnily enough, your show was what changed things for me because you had the episode with Terry the follow-up to Incident at Devil's Den. And so I right. went back to listen to Incident at Devil's Den. And that interview is what made me start to question my entire reality. And in that episode, he talked about when he got to the top of the hill hiking with um, his friend, he felt like he needed to go to sleep. And I realized that when I went to Ireland in 2021, when I went to the top of Nakhnashi, I wanted to lay down at the top of the hill and go to sleep. And just having that connection and then, it, it, you know, it's like what we were saying when people, I think before we were recording, but when people see the cover of Communion by Whitley Stryber, a lot mm -hmm. of people get clicked in and start having memories and all this stuff. Your podcast was that for me because I suddenly started to feel like there was more to my memory than I remembered. And I was like, I need to start looking into this. But it took me like two whole years to get up, not even just the courage, but just the wherewithal to even look into it. And so it wasn't until this year that I really started to delve into it and realized like, oh, there was so much more to my story than I remembered. And especially like looking through my childhood diaries, like this has been ongoing that whole time, even during the point of my life where I tried to deny that any of this was real just because I wanted to turn it off. But this year in particular, yeah, I, I feel like I'm starting to have all the answers of like what really happened that day and what really happened, you know, at, before and after that as well. Right. As a point of clarification, because, of course, a lot of people have a generally a negative view of psi abilities and psychic abilities mm, yeah. and, and all that. I understand that. And uh, you haven't experienced it yourself. But connected with that would be the process of hypnosis. And when they hear hypnotic regression, the first thing they say, well, first of all, eyewitness testimony and people's memories are so faulty that it's very easy to implant false memories or you're going down this path that really wasn't there and they're injecting ideas that they want to hear into you and now you're remembering them and you can maybe spark a false memory that's the big buzzword here but the idea with Lori mcdonald and what she was doing is that she's not giving you hypnotic regression sessions she's trying to get you to remember your own sub you Correct. know open up your own subconscious remember things that you had experienced earlier and now you're going back and looking at diary entries that you wrote at that age that you'd forgotten about is that correct yes and and i always like to make that point whenever that comes up because you know regression is a controversial subject again i'd like to remind sure. people not not you obviously but i'd like to remind people listening <laughs> john mack 
was the head of psychiatry at Harvard and his book, Abduction, again, I'm going back to this, he even was okay with regression. So like a lot of this modern arguments against it, I would just say, "Mm, you know, look a little more into it, especially if you know you're going to someone who is skilled and isn't going to, you know, unethically plant memories in your head, like that's a good thing. Um, But yes, I, for these incidents in particular, I did not ever get a regression for I remembered it on my own. Now, uh, down the line, you know, since then, and and I, I should say I've documented everything very well. I have gotten regressions done for other things. And in my mental notebook, I keep them in a separate category because I'm like, okay, these were things that were you know, revealed under regression. So as far as personal data, I have to keep this separate because I don't know if this is as accurate, you know? So I try to keep things in their own little mm-hmm. So that's categories. smart. You're, you're being careful about what you trust or, or the level of trust you put in your own, in your own research of yourself and your past. Correct. But there's a lot like we still don't know with experiences and experiencers like there's a heavy consciousness connection dreams like things that a lot of people would laugh at or or kind of be like, well, we can't take it seriously. But, you know, the longer I spend in this community, the more people I meet, the more people I see, like there's a lot more than we understand as people, like as humans. And it's something that we need to sort of start looking into, especially consciousness, because that's a big one. Oh, sure. It's all so nebulous. And of course, any name you mention, and I'll maybe just head this off at the pass a little bit, not that we don't mind getting them because they're always interesting. Usually, you know, when we mentioned John Mack, when we mentioned it in our Ralph Blumenthal interview, because he wrote a book on him, that was that's what got him started, is that then you get people emailing, you say, well, you know, John Mack, he had a lot of personal problems, and he wasn't very trustworthy. And I just want to say it's acknowledged, I think, Everything about this is nebulous. It's problematic. Everyone associated with this, you could, because it's all the big question. It's never really like, well, we all trust this guy and we're going to listen to what that research says. Everything's debated. Everything's problematic. Everybody's can be questioned because it is such, it's so out there and outside of our normal, you know, or normal experience. And you have to remember that even between them, scientists, you know, they'll call some of the, like the soft sciences, anthropology, things like that, where you're not in the laboratory. And so we give more weight to them, or perhaps scientists do. And even in the heavy, heavy science aspect of it, of particle physics, you have things like the double slit experiment, which doesn't happen the way that we should expect. It's outside of our understanding, and yet you can measure it. And so there's it, all of it, it, all of our experience is problematic. It's hard to understand. And just because your daily life is what you think it is, doesn't mean that, that well, it's a place to start, but that's not the end of it. So I guess what I'm saying is that you'd, you should always keep an open mind. And even about the personalities that you describe, it's like, just remember, folks, that you can be described that way by people who are your detractors, you're problematic, you're untruthful. You don't remember everything. You're trying to get me to do something I don't want to do. Whatever it is, we're all like that and all susceptible. So not to say that uh, none of this is uh, true about these personalities or people being mentioned, but it's just, it is all point of view. And so from your point of view, Persephone, is that you are now, have a little bit more understanding in your your quiver or toolkit of going about understanding and documenting what's happened to you. Is there anything that has happened, uh, again, that you've experienced maybe within the last few years 
that has been more solid or given you more understanding aside from you just kind of going back and, and searching your memory banks and your memory and your memory palace? Yeah, I mean, I've had some very, I'm going to say vivid dreams, but they were not dreams. I've had some very vivid experiences within the last couple of years that, you know, happened at night when I should have been asleep. And, you know, they had a dreamlike quality to them. But if anyone has ever lucid dreamed that's listening, you know the feeling when you are fully conscious within that dream and can control that dream, mm -hmm. except for these experiences, I couldn't control the things that were happening to me. They were happening and I was fully conscious and it felt you know, right. kind of dreamlike, but I couldn't control them. And I interacted with this being that I met in 1997, but he looks a little different now, but that same being is still around. And, you know, it's a lot to get into, so I, I really can't get into it now in the short time that we have. <laughs> That's okay. But, yeah, no, I have had more clarity just from that. And and because of that, it has really pushed me into, you know, all the things I'm doing now with disclosure advocacy and, and all of right. that because it's it's important to me now. You know, I want the answers. I'm sure a lot of people do. Like, you know, even you guys, you, you literally spend time questioning reality, questioning our universe and what's around, you know, so anything we can do to get any kind of solid answers would be great. It seems to me, like when you look at that story and you look at the playground story from prior to that, that these are coming from a couple of different genres in the way that humanity anyway thinks of these experiences. There are folks that think they all are lumped under one thing. And so everybody's trying to categorize, what is this? Are ghosts, aliens, are they the same thing? It's, is it all demonic? Are we being tricked? You know, there's there's all those conversations which we have at Infinitum. You know, thank God that's how we make a living. But the question is, do you feel like what was happening outside your house that day when you were dropped off uh, by the bus driver? Does that feel more like a like you said a ghostly sort of time slip thing that's uh, related to humanity versus this man you ran into on the playground? possibly being otherworldly and alien. Do you categorize those as two different types of experiences or do you see it all part of one spectrum? Am I part of the everything has one answer group or am I the yes. different phenomenon? Um, I think I'm somebody who thinks that all things are possible. So, you know, I think there is both the metaphysical and the technological side. So could this be ET? Could this be Faye? You know, I don't, I don't know. For me, I think there was a time slip occurrence. I feel I know what happened to me during that time, you know, based on my diaries and, and the work I've done this year on it. And yeah, it, it could be categorized under either. You could argue this is an old fairy story of somebody who slipped away under the hill for a little while and came back and it was 45 minutes later. Or, you know, you could argue this is aliens picking me up, which again, you know, from my perspective and my memories that I later recovered, it seems more in that vein. But, you know, what even are these beings? I don't think we know. I don't think we right. have the answers yet. And I think that's, you know, part of what's happening right now. Culturally, um, as a society, we're sort of starting to ask that question, you know, what are these beings? Where are they from? What do they right. want with us? You know, I think humanity's entering a period of, of ontological shock in a way. We are questioning everything. And I think that's an important thing to do. So do I have the answers? No. I love that term. It, it's coming up more and more these days, ontological oh, shock. Oh, keep hearing it. Yeah. yeah. So, and I know within my circles, I hear it all the time. So <laughs> everybody uses it. Because there's so much more obviously going on with you, especially uh, very recently, and more specifically in the time period since you first reached out to us and now, 
would you consider coming on to our special show on Patreon, The Astonishing Junk Drawer, and elaborating more on your most recent experiences and the new information you've uncovered about your own experiences? Absolutely. I would love to. Okay, great. And um, I guess then the last thing I will ask you before we let you go is there, uh, where, where can people connect with you or connect with uh, the work you're producing and that sort of thing if they want to find or, or follow you online in uh, various circles? Sure. So right now I am co-hosting a brand new podcast that just came out. It's called the KLU Podcast or Keep Looking Up. We can be found on Podbean, Spotify, you know, pretty much wherever podcasts live, we're there. And the show covers topics about disclosure advocacy, you know, post-disclosure, UAP, NHI, UFOs, you know, whatever, all that kind of thing. But we also intend to delve into the paranormal a little more as well, because it is just myself and my co-host very much, Anton, we very much have an interest in these things. And if you want to email the show or it's, you know, something you'd be interested in coming on and talking to us about, because we definitely would love to have guests who are interested in this topic, uh, you can reach us at klutepodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, other than that, you can find me on Spotify. I've released some music out there. Um, and yeah, that's that's me <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> well, Persephone, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I know a lot of our listeners are going to uh, connect with you, but it's the same kind of thing they did when we had Terry on. So it's important for people to come and share these stories so that people don't feel like they're crazy or they're the only ones having these experiences. So we really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For anyone listening, if you think you're an experiencer, you are not alone. There are a lot of others like you and more every day. So you know, just know that there are people here willing to talk to you, willing to listen. And um, yeah, just keep looking up. That's going to wrap up part one of our two-part Halloween listener story series. We'll be back next week with part two and the week after that with a very special standalone episode. Keep an eye on our feed, though, because we're rolling out something new and very exciting in the meantime. Now's the time to subscribe to our show, if you haven't already. Astonishing Legends is edited by Sarah Voorhees Wendell, EW Sound, and co-produced by Tess Fife, who is also head of research and the social media manager. Our technical producer is Ed Vicola, or as we call him, the mechanic. Special thanks to our announcer, John Bolin. I'm Ezra October. O-C-T-O-B-E. R. October. Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane at foundermusic.com. All other music and sound design for the show is composed and created by Alan Caressia. Our logo was created by Tommy Beaver Design, and our animated graphics for social media and YouTube are done by Joshua Sloan at deadstreetproductions.com. Every episode going back to September of 2020 has a transcription available on its corresponding webpage at our website. Earlier transcriptions can be made available upon request to astonishingcontact at gmail.com. Astonishing Legends would not be possible without you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, Facebook, and YouTube. You can also visit us at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends where patrons have access to additional bonus content, including the Patreon-exclusive show, Astonishing Junk Drawer, which is available every week the main show is not. 
No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. <laughs>